Hello, everybody, and welcome to All In. I am Eric the Echidna. And I am literally the protagonist of Bravely Default 2, Seth. Well, it looks like we're not the only ones closing out the year with a bang because the news this week has been absolutely crazy. (laughs) Yeah, Nintendo really went all out this week. You know, we'll see if that affects their grade at all today when we do our full year in review. Yeah, and speaking of reviews, we've got a big one this week. Hot off the heels of winning multiple awards, in our indie showcase today, we finally dive deep into what many consider to be the indie game of the year, Supergiant's magnum opus, Hades. But do you think it'll make our list? Because this end of the year episode all builds up to us counting down the top five Nintendo releases of the year. Be sure to stick around and find out what is going to take our top spot and be all ends game of the year for 2020. And after that, for all of our wonderful listeners, we'll have a very special surprise to close out the show. So let's look back at the year that was. It's time to go all in. Well, folks, it is our end of the year episode. We are here. Of course, it's not going to be the last episode of the year. We are still going to join you next week, the day after Christmas, after all the holidays are situated, everybody in their sort of food comas after the holidays. But (laughs) we will still be here right on time next Saturday. But this Saturday, we want to welcome new and returning listeners to All End, a Nintendo podcast, the Nintendo variety show where every week no shell is left unturned and no point is left unearned. Thanks, folks, for joining us this week. We're happy to have you. Um, man, there is so much going on. A huge news week. I-, I mean, we started this week not really knowing what to expect, especially leading up to the holidays. We didn't know kind of the the way Nintendo was going to tackle the news cycle, but I mean, it, it, it has just been jam-packed. We've got a lot to get into, but before we do that, sir, what's been going on this week? You know, a lot of what I have done over the past week would spoil a lot of our news, so mm. I won't tell. I won't talk about all of it just yet. However, since the season finale was yesterday, I will shout out oh. one last time this year, The Mandalorian. I, I don't even have words for that season finale. I mean, just in case whoever's listening to this has not seen the season two finale of The Mandalorian, we absolutely do not want to spoil a single moment of the show. But suffice it to say, if you are even remotely interested in Star Wars, you, you definitely, definitely need to see it. The season two finale was absolutely phenomenal. It was so good. And I know you've you've already watched it multiple times, buddy. I'm probably going to watch it again uh, here after our episode's over. But man, uh, season three already confirmed for yes. uh, Christmas Day next year. So already counting down the days until that comes. Very, very much looking forward to that. And the, you know... 38 spinoffs that Disney recently announced at their investors meeting. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, yeah, the the season obviously, you know, again, not spoiling anything, but it did obviously set in motion a lot of potential spin-offs and Disney did, you know, announce I think legitimately 9 or 10 with no exaggeration spin-off series and and I mean there's there's a lot. That season finale was giving me the palpitations. I <laughs> I think it took a couple years off of my life, but uh it was glorious. It was abs- I mean, this is right up there with some of the very best Star Wars content. It's so good. It's so, so good. And just like we were talking about last week, how, how do we not have a Mandalorian game announced yet? I would pay, Yeah, I, I would buy three copies of that game for no reason. I just, I, <laughs> I, I just need one on each side of me. Yeah, it's... Uh, it it's, seems like it should have been a foregone conclusion. I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. I mean, one thing is for sure. The, the people that are behind the Mandalorian absolutely know what they're doing. And the team, you know, is absolutely at the top of its craft. And this is the way. Yeah, this is absolutely 100% the way. Now, in the video game world, I have still been continuing to play Hades, obviously, last week. I said mm-hmm. that uh, I had uh, reached the end credits. However, there is a ton of post-game content. I mean, the game just keeps going. I, I don't want to say too much more because we're going to get all into it in our indie showcase here very shortly. But yes, uh, I have been doing a lot with that. Obviously, playing Age of Calamity, really getting deep into Age of Calamity now. Uh, We will be giving you guys a review at some point in the near future. So do stay tuned for that. And also, I did play the Bravely Default 2 final demo that released, what, uh, Thursday, I think? Thursday, Friday? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, God, it's (laughs) so much has happened this week. I can't remember if Bravely Default came out yesterday or two days ago. But it, that's 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 real. I mean, it's been the crazy week. The past, like honestly, the bottom half of this week has just been news after news after news. So yeah, you cannot be blamed for that. <laughs> so I did play the Bravely Default two demo. Uh, I, I have to be a hundred percent honest. I'm gonna have to play through it again because, admittedly, the first time I played through, I didn't spend too much time with it. But yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's we'll see. I, I don't want to, to start making, uh, I don't want to start jumping to conclusions. I don't want to start making rash right. judgments, but it, it didn't, the, the short amount of time I did spend with the demo have spent with the demo. It didn't make me feel the way I thought it was going to. Mm. So That's I fair. I'm going to play it again because obviously the first one was, really really good this one by all accounts should be more of the same so uh, i'm gonna give the demo another chance first time didn't blow me away we'll see uh i mean we'll see because honestly i've had a couple games that uh i wasn't really that impressed with the first time i picked up the controller but for some reason the second or third time something just clicked with me notably uh <laughs> this has nothing to do with nintendo but that actually happened to me with champions of norath back on the ps2 the first time I picked oh, up, sure. yeah, the first time I picked up Champions of Norrath on the PS2, I just I I could not get into it. I just didn't think it was enjoyable whatsoever. But the second time I picked it up, for 
whatever reason. I don't even remember why I decided to try the game again, but I just immediately got hooked and loved every second of it. So yeah, no, that's happened with me several times. That happened to me with the first Dragon Age. That happened with me with Dark Souls. So yeah, I can totally relate. But uh, if you're interested at all in downloading the demo for yourself, Bravely Default 2, the final demo, simply downloading the demo. This is definitely worth mentioning. Simply Mm. downloading the demo gets you 100 platinum points to your Nintendo account. That is nice. That is nice. I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to play it. I haven't had a chance to check out yet, but uh, I do have it downloaded. Uh, I am going to play it. I mean, I, I feel a little bit obligated considering that the main character and I share a name. <laughs> um, it, 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 I'm a little honor bound to play it at this point, but I, I want to give it a shake, you know, see, see how I like it. It does feel like a lot of people are a little lukewarm on this one, even like Bravely Default fans. So I don't know. We'll see. I haven't really seen too much discourse on it personally, but I, I, I could understand that being the case if it were. So I'm going to give it another shot. We'll see what happens. But uh, for your sake, buddy, I hope that the RPG whose main character uh, carries <laughs> your name. I, I hope it turns out to be a really good game. But, I want uh, it to be a classic. <laughs> yeah, be the greatest RPG ever. Why, Seth? I want to be able to play as myself in Smash someday, okay? <laughs> there you go. That's real talk right there. To have the Smash announcer say your name? Oh. Yes. Hashtag yes. life goals. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what about you, buddy? Uh, what you been up to the past couple days? Yeah, so I'm in a really similar boat to you. Uh, if I were to talk about the things that have taken up a lot of my gaming time this week, it would spoil <laughs> some of the things we're going to talk about in the news. So I won't super get into that, but I will talk about, however, one thing that is completely not video game related. And and I am just going to take a minute here to tell you all that if you are going through this holiday season, if you're going through the Christmas season and, um, and you have Disney plus and you have not yet watched them up at Christmas Carol, I'm, I just am going to need to implore that you remedy that uh, immediately. I'm going to need to, ask you to welcome that movie into your life because it is the greatest Christmas movie ever made and it isn't even close. <laughs> That's just me on my soapbox for that. Uh, they have <laughs> they have uh, actually got the negatives back from the original cut of uh, When Love is Gone from the, the one that was cut from the home video release of the film and they've worked that into the Disney Plus version as a bonus extra. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's actually something that has been lost for years. Brian Henson uh, said that, that that was actually lost for a really long time, the original negatives. That's why it's never been available in full widescreen. Um folks who know the movie know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and yeah, they have now worked that into Disney plus as a bonus feature. Uh, and it is now available in glorious widescreen high definition. And again, uh, we watched that movie the other night, just to sort of get into the Christmas spirit. And it is just, it's the best and it gets better. Every time I watch it, it gets better every year. I'm not prepared to say it's the greatest, but uh, yeah, I, it is. I, I absolutely love Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol every year. I, you know, no shame in my game every year. I unashamedly sing one more sleep till Christmas. It feels like Christmas. Oh, yeah. They're both absolute classics. Michael Caine's performance is just so fun. Wonderful. Yeah. He just perfectly hits that crotchety yet accessible. Like, how do you even do that as an actor? 
He is somehow at once the most evil, heartless man. He's mean and like snarling, but he's also lovable and like he he sells it perfectly. You know who's originally going to play Scrooge in that movie? Uh, Tom Hanks. George Carlin. <laughs> George Carlin was originally their their first choice. You know, I could kind of see that. <laughs> So yeah, no, I weirdly I know a lot about the production of that movie. I uh, I love that movie so much, and I again, there are a lot of great Christmas movies. That is my personal favorite. Always has been. I think it always will be. And if I have a platform, I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a couple of minutes and just implore you: if you have never seen it, check out a Muppet Christmas Carol on Disney Plus. If you already have it to watch The Mandalorian, look, you got Muppet Christmas Carol in there for free too. <laughs> Yes, is an amazing movie. Maybe the best. Yeah, probably the best Muppet movie as well. Yeah, honestly. And there's like, uh, I could talk so long about it. I'm not going to get into a huge tangent, but just like that movie was like the first movie that was made after the passing of Jim Henson. There was so much writing on it. Uh, I just, oh, I love that movie. Anyway, <laughs> this is a Nintendo podcast. This is not a Muppet podcast. I mean, we've got so much news. I think we just need to get into it. Listen. All right, well, you know, honestly, taking a second look at it, not too much happened this week, but we were able to yeah, find a couple know. stories to, to talk with you guys about. We, we scraped the bottom of the barrel, you know. Yes, of course, I'm clearly being an idiot. It has been a phenomenal week to be a Nintendo fan, my lord. Yeah, it's it's been crazy. Um, like I said, they sort of backloaded the back half of this week with a ton of stuff. Um, real quick, though, at the top of the news, I did just want to make good on a promise I made to you guys last week. And that is that I did say that I was going to go over the November 2020 NPD data. Um, I do want to just break down the Nintendo relevant information just really quickly. We've got a lot to talk about, so I don't want to agonize over every single solitary thing on the report here. I will leave a link in the episode description so that you can check it out if you would like to. However, I'm just going to get into this uh, really quickly for you guys. So November 2020 was a huge month for consumer spending, obviously. And we were kind of waiting, right? Like you and I have both talked about this a lot. We were sort of waiting to see how Nintendo was going to sort of fall into line. We already know, we reported last week that Nintendo sold more hardware than both Sony and Microsoft just because of the availability of the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X not quite being there when the Nintendo Switch was also upping production. Um, so they definitely made advantage of that. But just as a generalization, November 2020 consumer spending across hardware, content, and accessories reached a November record $7 billion. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. 35% increase uh, as opposed to last year. Uh, Year-to-date spending has totaled $44.5 billion, which is 22% higher than the same time period last year. So we are still 22% increase over sales compared to last year in a pandemic. People need stuff to do at home. They certainly do. And I mean, they they bought stuff, man. In the month of November alone, Nintendo moved like 1.3 million Switches. So, and, and we'll probably see that number continue uh, into December when we report on that. But I do just want to really quickly talk about the top 10 best-selling games on Nintendo Switch for November 2020. They are in order. Number one, making its debut, of course, in November was Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Unsurprising. 
to see it take the number one spot. It's a brand new game. I think it moved something like 3 million units just in its first weekend. Yeah, we reported on it like immediately becoming the best selling Musou game of all time within right. like minutes of its release, essentially. Right. So obviously a massive success for Nintendo uh, and, and a really good game. We're enjoying it. Again, review is coming for that soon. We just want to be able to take our time with it. Number two, of course, Animal Crossing New Horizons. Not not a surprise there. Number three, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Wow. Still still hanging in there. At number three. <laughs> At number three for November. I mean, it's it's everybody buying the new Switches, right? Everybody's getting the new Switches, and it's like, hey, if you're going to get a Switch, you're also going to get Mario Kart probably at the same time um and this probably also we don't know this again because of nintendo's weirdness with reporting digital sales and stuff um, but this probably also accounts for the bundle that was available for black friday yeah that's true that's true that's true so that that probably is also looped into there but i don't know that for sure but if i had to guess because of its really high chart placement i think that probably has something to do with it um number four super mario 3d all-stars Yep. Of course. Of course. Uh, number five, New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe. Still continuing wow. to sell really well on the Switch, which is really surprising. You and I really like that game, but I am surprised that it's done as well as it has on the Switch. People just need Mario platformers. I mean, yeah. obviously, Mario Odyssey has been out for a few years. New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe is technically the most recent Mario platformer released for the platform. Right. So it's uh, true. I guess that's probably driving a lot of the sales. I mean, I I fully expect when they release Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury Furry Fury Fury, yeah. <laughs> it should really be furry. I mean, they're furry it, it they're furry be. cats. <laughs> but uh, I I fully expect when they release that here in a few months in February, I believe. That, yeah. that it's probably going to sell all the copies as well. It is worth noting, too. I, I think that some retailers had that game on a pretty deep discount. I think some retailers like Walmart and Best Buy for the holidays, I think they're selling that game for like 30 bucks or something like that. So It's a good game. It, it is a good game. I mean, you know, I'm not knocking it. Uh, number six, Just Dance 2021 made its debut in November <laughs> and did take the, the number six slot which is also not surprising. Nice. It is actually the only non-first party title in the top 10. Number seven, which I think is also the result of a deep holiday discount, is Luigi's Mansion 3. Good to see that. We love that game. Yeah, I mean, it's the holidays. We need to play spooky stuff, apparently. Sure. Why not? It's a great game. It's a great co-op game. So that, that it doesn't necessarily shock me. Um, number eight, Mario Kart Live Home Circuit which of course did fall off quite a bit um, considering it was number one last month in its debut month. It has fallen to number eight, but still a really strong debut for a $100 package. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole thing. It's not just the game. It is the full experience. You've got the RC cart and the app and yep. the gates and it's the, it's the whole setup. So we were surprised. We were a little surprised to see just how many it sold because of the price tag. It's the same thing with it's the exact same thing with Ring Fit with the extra cost of the added peripheral, and it's still selling ridiculously well. I did think this was going to fall off a little bit, and it did. We'll see how it moves through the rest of the holiday season and into the new year. If Nintendo supports it a little bit, 
I could yeah. see, I could see a few sales spikes in the future. So, and that is a great point because that that's something that like I really hope that they put out like a steady stream of like DLC, new costumes, new carts. Because right now you've just got the Mario and Luigi. Yep. Um, you know, maybe give an option for players to buy the cart standalone for fifty bucks or something like that. You know, I, I think would be a huge boon. Um, but yeah, it's still cool. I was actually expecting it to drop off more than it did. So it is kind of impressive that it has maintained the top 10. Um, and just really quickly to round out the top 10, uh, we have got at number nine, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate and The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild at number 10. I expect Smash to be much higher uh, when we talk about next month's or this month's NPD uh, next month. So for, for reasons that we'll get into. <laughs> oh yes, which I have, you know, I'm sure none of you already know what we're talking about. I'm sure. But before we get into that, we do have a little teeny tiny indie world showcase we should probably talk about. Oh my lord, it was so good. It was legitimately this indie world showcase. I mean, they had that amazing indie world showcase earlier in the year as well. I mean, these things have just been all killer, no filler lately, man. There's just so, so many really good looking games all over these indie world showcases so if you haven't checked it out definitely definitely check it out there's a ton of amazing games we're not going to have time to touch on all of them but there are a few that we definitely want to spotlight seth you're looking pretty sus over there (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) <laughs> now, obviously, the, the, the biggest story coming out of the Indie World Showcase this past week was the shadow dropping of Among Us onto the Nintendo Switch. I mean, I really did not see this coming. I really didn't. I didn't either. Obviously, outside of, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, outside of headset-enabled platforms... Right. The, ga- the game still has been released. Obviously, it's been released for iOS and smartphones. It's on multiple platforms that uh, force players to use text chat while they're playing. Right. But still, even though we knew that was going to have to be implemented that way on the Switch, it's still not something that we really thought was going to happen. And yet, lo and behold, here we are this week playing Among Us on the Nintendo Switch. I've been playing a bunch of games. I've had an absolute blast. It's it's just so much fun. As a matter of fact, I told you the very first game I jumped into, it was a 10-man room, one imposter. I jumped in. I was immediately in my first game, the imposter, and I ran around and just murdered everybody. I won <laughs> within three rounds. I was actually feeling pretty good about myself. Uh, but it's just, oh, man. It, it's... It's if you've never tried Among Us, it did win for best multiplayer game. It won for best mobile game at the Game Awards, very rightfully so. We've talked yep. about it a couple times here on the show. It's effectively like Ultimate Werewolf if you've ever played that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, essentially what Among Us is, it's a game where you have a group of people and one or a couple of them are designated as the traitors essentially in your crew. And the normal crewmates are trying to figure out who they are. And the traders are trying to go around and knock off the crew, the crew members. Yep. 
There's been a huge surge in asymmetrical multiplayer games over the past few years, but I don't think any of them have really caught fire the way that Among Us seemed to right in the middle of this year. It just seemed like it came out of nowhere and just everybody was playing it. And I was more than happy to jump on that bandwagon. I'm, again, having a lot of fun. Now, I will say, a quick little uh, pro tip if you're playing Among Us, I do recommend, if you can, try to get a group of friends together because the game's only mm-hmm. five bucks. Yeah, I mean, the game is such a easy pill to swallow in terms of its price. And, you know, to that end, we did see it, unsurprisingly, shoot to the very top of the eShop sales. Uh, basically, immediately after it went live, the game is immensely popular. Again, you know, now we have the the best multiplayer and best mobile game on our Nintendo Switch. Uh, and, I mean, yeah, get a group of friends together play among us it's so much fun uh you will have to use some sort of external uh chat service like discord or skype or something like that but um but i mean the game is is a blast and and yeah it's so cool to see it on switch it does have full cross play i was able to confirm i actually jumped on with my switch my phone and my pc and was able to easily get all in the same lobby so you do have cross play support with basically everything and yeah i mean what what a great thing to just have on the switch and by the way special shout out to the icon that it has on switch yeah the thumbnail for among us is amazing maybe more so than any switch game on the platform the thumbnail for among us just perfectly encapsulates what the game is that is effective design i've got to hand it to him it was it's awesome (laughs) but i did i just want to end it with the entire reason that we've both uh, said to try to get a group of your friends together is you know not just because it's better to play that way admittedly if you do try to play with randos online you can wind up having some weird experiences right you will see lobbies where people will just leave right in the middle of the game you will see games that will end prematurely just from people leaving. You will see people who are just trying to troll and call emergency meetings right in the middle of the game for no reason whatsoever. So, you know, just like with mini games, if you jump on, there's a lot of weird randos. So if at all possible, do try to get a group of your friends together. And if you can, you guys are going to have an absolute blast. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely the big, you know, shocking, mind-melding reveal of the Indie World Showcase, but it was far from the only announcement there. Um, I just got to say, right off the top, Spelunky 1 and 2 coming to Nintendo Switch next summer. What? I am so hyped for this. That That's probably, that was one of those things that... I've just been shocked for the longest time. I mean, I've talked about Spelunky several times now on the show, a game that is immensely important to me. Uh, I love that game. And I've been wondering when it was going to come to Switch. And now we finally have an idea. And uh, man, it makes me so happy. Yeah, it's coming summer next year. That's really all we know right now is it's coming summer. But seven months, eight months, it's not going to be that long of a wait. Ultimately, it'll be here before you know it, buddy. Yeah, it's, it's really not. And when this game does come to Switch, you guys, I mean, it has gotten all of its universal acclaim for good reason. And we will certainly talk about it a lot more in depth as we get closer to release. Um, man, what, what a great announcement. 
<laughs> it, it really has felt like a a glaring sort of hole in the Switch's indie game catalog that is now being filled when Splunky 1 and 2 launch next summer on the platform. But um, man, we also got some really cool, interesting games that I'd never even heard of. Some of these are first reveals. Some of these are have been known quantities that we now know are coming to the Switch. Um, first thing I want to touch on here is a launch exclusive coming next March is Tunche. 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 Yeah, whatever it is. I, I think it's Tunche, but but yeah, I, it, it looks awesome, man. I have no clue how to pronounce it, but I really, really want to play it. It reminds me a lot of Castle Crashers. Yes, I was just going to make that comparison. Yes. Yeah, it's an incredibly cartoonish looking beat-em-up. Uh, everything that was shown off in the gameplay trailer this just makes the game look so, so fun. And I'm not going to lie, the fact that there is a certain guest character that has yes. already been confirmed for Tunche uh, did help sell the entire package on me. And sure. that guest character that I'm talking about is actually Hat Kid from A Hat in Time. We did an indie showcase on Hat in Time back during our Mario 35th anniversary episode. Definitely go check that out. We absolutely loved it. And <laughs> I'm definitely excited to play this game, but I am very interested to see how Hat Kid fits into the world. It's really funny. Hat Kid's kind of making waves a little bit because not only is Hat Kid in this game, there's another game. It wasn't a part of this Indie World Showcase, but there's another indie game that uh, was shown this week as well called Nico. And Hat Kid is also in that game. And it's like, it's so funny. Gears for Breakfast is kind of getting into the publishing world and helping other independent game developers. And Hat Kid is popping into their games as a result. It's actually kind of cool to see. I'm all for it. I am too. Uh, another major thing that was shown during this Indie World Showcase, you know, we have been wondering for a long time, when are we finally going to get Cyber Shadow? And we now know that the game is coming January 26th with exclusive Amiibo support on the Switch, co-developed by Yacht Club Games, which I think is why so many people have their eye on it. But I mean, even aside from that, the game looks fantastic. Yeah, the game looks like a mix between Ninja Gaiden and Strider and just all the 90s extreme excess that comes with that era of video games. It it just looks like a ton of fun. Again, Yacht Club Games, the, the pedigree there with Shovel Knight and retro gaming, retro style gaming development. I mean... They're already masters at the craft at this point. So admittedly, it's it's weird. I'm not a hundred percent I'm not super hyped for Cyber Shadow like a lot of people are, but I know the game is going to be really good. I am looking forward to playing it, and I I could definitely see it being one of those situations where I play it and just think to myself, why in the world wasn't I more excited for this? <laughs> right. I, I definitely, especially after seeing this sort of with the new release date and stuff, knowing that, hey, we're now just barely a month away from this thing coming out, does have me starting to feel the hype a little bit, of course. Like I said, this is co-developed uh, and published by Yacht Club Games. Um, in collaboration with Mechanical Head Studios, Jake Kaufman is one of the composers. I mean... There's a lot to be excited about here. And uh, I, I, yeah, January 26th, I'm really looking forward to it. The Amiibo support's weird too, and I'm here for it. 
<laughs> yeah, the Amiibo support for that game is really weird, but I've, I've got the Amiibos. When I play it, I'm definitely going to use them. We'll see just how weird it gets. And speaking of weird, I do want to shout out uh, a game that's going to be coming out here in just a few days. We won't talk much about it, but Happy Game looks really mm. weird and creepy and interesting, and I'm kind of looking forward to that as well. But yeah. This Alba game also looks really cool. Yeah, Alba, a wildlife adventure by us two games, the Monument Valley folks, uh, coming spring 2021. Uh, I'm really intrigued by this. I love the art style. I love the sort of like whimsical vibes and the wildlife and the, you know, the plant life and stuff. It looks very lush. I, I just, I really like what they're going for here. And a cool little tidbit that I actually learned about this game is that Us Two Games is actually going to be planting one tree for every copy of the game that is purchased. And they've jump-started that with 100,000 trees that they planted at the announcement of the game. So, I mean, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. We're always here to support endeavors like that. I hope the game itself turns out to be really good but at the very least that's a that's a cause we can support if nothing else absolutely Uh, another game coming out here in a few days i was a huge 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 fan of the original super meat boy and i'm really excited to see super meat boy forever dropping in just a few days on the nintendo switch very much looking forward to that me too that's a day one purchase for me i loved 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 with a bold underline super meat boy uh one of my very favorite you know that that's really up there with like some of the original you know independent games back there on xbox 360's xbox live arcade like that game was wonderful man yeah that was one of my greatest gaming achievements was completely 100 percenting the single player campaign in that game, you know, yes, all a plus rankings, all, you know, dark world stages, all everything. So that was, that was one heck of a doing, but man, it was so good. I enjoyed every death. That was one of the, I am not somebody who has broken that many controllers in my life and (laughs) not even, not even by rage, not even like throwing it. I tenderized, literally tenderized my A button on my Xbox 360 controller playing that game to the point where it stopped registering that I was pressing it. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It's an intense game. That is like the very height and definition of just white knuckle 2D platforming. So if you've never tried Super Meat Boy, it is, it's it's an absolute blast. It is not easy. It is not easy. You're in for a bad time but it's still going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, so when Super Meat Boy Forever drops on the 23rd, I I am definitely expecting uh, much the same uh, in terms of difficulty, and that is also going to be, at least at launch, a Switch exclusive for consoles. Yes, uh, very much looking forward to that. But here at the end of our roundup of the Indie World Showcase, if you're looking for something that you can play right now, there were a couple games shadow dropped during the Indie World Showcase like we thought there would be. And... You know, there was an odd kind of cat theme, it seemed, going on at the Indie World Showcase. And one of the cat-themed games that was shown off was this game, Calico. Yeah, my wife was really wanting to play this. <laughs> I 100% believe that. <laughs> it seems like it's this sort of... She apparently played it at PAX, which I didn't know. But um, it seems like this kind of like life sim 
game where you play as a magical like witch who is tasked with restoring a cat cafe in this kind of cozy little forested village. But yeah, it seems really, really kind of cute and whimsical and she really wants to play it. I don't know that it's necessarily my cup of tea, but I really like the visuals and like the music and stuff. So yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to watching her play. Another game that was shadow dropped was grindstone. I have got to shout out grindstone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, grindstone is one of my favorite puzzle games ever and it is now available on the nintendo switch i paid for this game on apple arcade for way too long to be honest way longer than i should have just to simply have access to grindstone it is so good and now i have it on my switch and that is one of the games that i've been playing a whole bunch of this week but didn't want to talk about at the top of the show but uh it's it's so so good and there's a launch discount associated with it if you like puzzle games uh i I've got to implore you to check it out. It's so good. <laughs> that and there were a few other games shown off during the Indie World Showcase that we just frankly don't really even have time for. But you you really, yeah. really should. There's a ton of gameplay trailers, ton of amazing, amazing indie games coming to the Nintendo Switch. The Nintendo Switch really is an amazing platform, has been an amazing platform for the independent video game scene and just continues to, to grow and expand. If you've never really been an indie game person, I highly recommend you start checking out some of these games that we've been talking about. But to switch gears a little bit from independent to the triplest of A's. <laughs> That's true. Uh, last week during the Game Awards, the very first announcement of the main show of the Game Awards revealed Sephiroth as the newest downloadable fighter for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And we found out during the Game Awards that we were going to be getting a full presentation on everything the character has to offer this week. And sure enough, just a couple days ago, this past Thursday, we got a Mr. Sakurai Presents on the One-Winged Angel. And uh, this was just about everything that I think any fan could have hoped for, honestly. It was everything just everything it is the most and i've thought a lot about this and and just when i think about characters being represented in smash we've seen some amazing representation in the game i still can't believe that banjo kazoo is a playable character in that game but sephiroth's inclusion in super smash brothers ultimate is probably the most loving detailed just over-the-top inclusion I think the game has ever seen from everything from the stage to the music to the moveset to like a limited-time event that they've included in the Sephiroth Challenge. I mean, they have really pulled out all the stops right here at the end of the year. I mean, the music, the me costumes, the stage, the yeah. final smash, just absolutely everything about this character was so lovingly created and the the nods and the references and the Easter eggs abound. Obviously, Seth, you and I grew up with Final Fantasy VII, still one of the greatest games ever made. It's ridiculously influential for an entire generation of gamers, and it's so wonderful to see the One-Winged Angel come to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And I do want to definitely shout out specifically uh, the the music, because Ugh. during the presentation, Sakurai specifically 
brought up the fact that when Cloud was introduced back in Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U and Super Smash Brothers on the 3DS, that they were only able to bring two songs yes. with him when it felt like yes. every other character essentially had an entire album of music that accompanied them in the game. Obviously, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, uh, as a matter of fact, with the inclusion of Sephiroth, has surpassed a thousand music tracks in the game. It's it's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. And I mean, that's something that always felt just a little bit off. And it was understandable, you know, of course, it's licensing issues and stuff like this with the Final Fantasy music. And it's always been like understood. But now that Sephiroth is here and now that he has brought with him nine new music tracks wonderful final fantasy 7 music i i mean it really feels like cloud is finally here in a way you know the character is always great and stuff but now it kind of finally feels like that that circle is tied you know and even more so than showing off everything the character has to offer uh man <laughs> the release date yeah, this was this was pretty great. So we sort of had the feeling, and I think a lot of folks had the feeling coming into this, that it was most likely going to be shadow dropped. Uh, you and I sort of internally, we were talking like, if it's not shadow dropped, it's going to like maybe be a few days after the presentation. And it was both. <laughs> yeah, so Sephiroth officially comes out on December 20. Second, here in just a few days from when this episode goes live. However, because Sephiroth is such an iconic boss character in video game history, the team over at Sora Limited actually went the extra mile and created oh. a limited time event called the Sephiroth Challenge, where you can fight Sephiroth as a essentially a boss character with HP using the stamina rules in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And if you are able to defeat Sephiroth, you then immediately get access to the character. You do not have to wait until the 22nd. You unlock Sephiroth, you unlock his music, and you unlock his stage. And yes, just about everybody on the planet has already done that. Oh, yeah, because you can actually just beat him on easy and unlock all of that stuff, which is which is totally fine. And, you know, but I mean, if you do want to go for the very hard challenge, it, he does not go down without a fight. I will tell you that. <laughs> no, I can't even ballpark the number of pictures I, uh, I saw on social media with people posting their screen captures of their clear of very hard. It's just become this thing that it feels like everybody has done over the past couple of days. And it's kind of adorable in a way. And it stinks. Yeah. It stinks that the Sephiroth challenge is only around for a few days. I do kind of understand, but I am really, really glad that they gave this legendary boss, you know, something to call his own in this game. Oh, and by the way, Sephiroth is just a ton of fun to play. It's amazing being able to play as a legendary character on that level. Legitimately like pretty much instantly one of my favorite characters in the game and I'm is going to be just a joyous experience learning his move set and sort of getting good with that character. It's it's been a blast and uh can't wait to play, you know, hundreds of more hours with him in the years to come. So, I mean, I, we couldn't be happier to see him in the game. Um, if you've never, 
experienced Final Fantasy VII, one of the greatest games of all time. That game is currently, along with a lot of other Final Fantasy titles, currently half off on the Nintendo Switch eShop. So if you've never played FF7, it still holds up. And uh, it's the PC version of the game with a lot of the kind of improvements, a lot of the graphical uh, upresing, a lot of the the ability to fast forward and speed up the game and stuff. So th- there are actually a lot of little tweaks that are available in the Switch version that could make the experience a little more modernized. Um, it's not FF7 Remake, but it is the classic game half off on the Switch. So if you've never played it, highly recommend it. <laughs> and once you play it, if you've never done so before then hopefully you'll get all the references and all the cinematic grandeur of sephiroth's amazing stage and, and like just it's perfect man it's his taunts his victory screen it's all oh that perfect. victory screen is that victory screen is godlike oh it's so amazing but i mean i you know sephiroth's great and everything but i gotta i gotta admit man the absolute highlight of my week this week was yesterday when we got out of nowhere, the Super Nintendo World Direct. <laughs> yes. As if Nintendo wasn't showing off enough stuff this week. You know, I got to say that. I, it almost feels like Nintendo knew we were going to be doing our year in review today. Yeah. So they said, man, we got to we gotta just, <laughs> we got to blow out this week, man. All in, yeah, all ends grading us this week, man. We got to just completely blow this week out. Yeah, playing to playing teacher's pet a little bit there. I mean, I, I see. I, I see what you're doing there, Miyamoto. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? So like this could have been, and I think a lot of people expected when they announced this. This is probably just going to be a really static, essentially 15 minute ad. But no, this is a wonderful, loving like walkthrough tour of super Nintendo world in universal studios, Japan led by Shigeru Miyamoto himself. And one of the things I love about Shigeru Miyamoto is just like a Wada. You can see the childlike wonder in, oh. <laughs> in his face when he's doing all this stuff, just the way, the way he hit the question mark blocks and got the coins and the way he was running around to toads cafe and oh man, it was it was just so fun. It was like watching a seventy year old kid, basically. I mean, dude, I I can't even imagine what it must be like for him to literally step into the world that he created over thirty five years ago. That's true. In like real physical form. I mean, I that has got to be the greatest feeling in the world. I'd be smiling ear to ear too. And I mean everything about that presentation was just so pitch perfect. Like the way he started it off with a clear nod and a respectful nod yeah. to Iwata, the directly to you, you know, I mean, yeah, that immediately got me feeling a little misty. And then like later on when they're introducing the, you know, the walk around characters of Mario and Luigi and he refers to himself as their dad. <laughs> oh my goodness. We'll see you soon. Dad's got to work. <laughs> Dad's busy. Oh, I'm like this is the cutest thing. And the food and the merchandise. I mean, I, I, I need it. I need it in my life. Yeah, we don't know the price point of that electronic Mario toy that they showed off during I don't the presentation. Care. Yeah, it looks really, <laughs> really cool. It's probably going to be about $500, but it looks really cool. I need one. I need one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be one of those things where I just know 
whenever this does come stateside and we're able to make a trip out to Orlando or, or wherever, I mean, this is just going to be uh, a, a an ascendant experience. <laughs> Are you going to Toad's Cafe and you actually give your order to a Toad chef on a screen? That's just, man, that's... <laughs> That's so great. And then the different food items, like the power up mushroom and every, oh man, it's just, it looks like if you're even remotely a Nintendo fan, it's just a dream come true. And I mean, like to say nothing of like the Mario Kart ride and like the, the way everything is just so perfectly realized in real life and like all the moving elements, this, this may be in terms of the kinetic movement of the park, maybe the most visually appealing theme park attraction i've ever seen so well we'll see it opens up in tokyo on february 4th again no real news on the recommencement of construction here at the american parks so right i don't know if we have to travel to japan we will i'll learn japanese <laughs> right i feel like i may have to if it's if it means i get to go to that park it may be worth it <laughs> but you know i will say I know that Nintendo made you happy in some other ways, too, with uh, some of these new games coming to the NES and SNES online apps. Yeah, just think about all the stuff that we didn't know last week that we are now playing on the Nintendo Switch. Last week, we had no clue that Sephiroth was going to be in Super Smash Bros. Last week, we had no clue that Among Us was going to be available on the Nintendo Switch. And last week... We had no clue that these five games were coming to the Nintendo and Super Nintendo Switch online apps. Now, we've got one new Nintendo game that was added called Nightshade, which I actually tried it out. It, it For an NES game, it's pretty impressively stylized. It's a 2D point-and-click adventure that okay. is very it's very tongue in cheek. It treats itself almost like a Saturday morning cartoon kind of really uh, similar sense of humor to to old early 90s cartoons. But okay. I I was kind of down for an NES game that came out in 1991 after the Super Nintendo had already come out. Yeah, I I could see it. It may not be Maniac Mansion, it may not be Monkey Island, but it you know right. could be interesting. But we did also get four Super Nintendo games. And I do want to go over these real quick. There's one I definitely want to talk about. We got <laughs> we got Tough Tough Enough. Tough Enough. T-U-F-F-E-N-U-F-F, which is the most 90s thing ever. I love the box art for this game, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it's like... It's some all might wannabe. It actually, I was just going to say that it actually does look like an all might wannabe. It's just like the, that weird phrase. Are you a bad enough dude? Basically, uh, in box art form. It's so nineties, but it's a fighting game and it's, I think it's right about halfway between street fighter two and pit fighter because I, I played it and man, it, that one doesn't really hold up. I'm glad it's there. <laughs> I am still glad it's there because all of these releases, especially releases that weren't very widely famous and have a danger of being lost 
to the ether for the sake of preservation at least i'm right. happy uh but <laughs> honestly preservation is probably the the only positive i can really take away from tough enough being added to the switch online app now ignition factor i did want to point out ignition factor it's a game it's a top-down adventure game where you play as a firefighter and right this one's kind of a cult game it's not very widely known but everybody who's played it everybody i've seen who's played it have really really enjoyed it uh i've heard the word hidden gem be thrown at quite a bit in regards to ignition factor so you know maybe check that one out yeah i had heard about it actually and when i saw the footage uh for ignition factor i was like oh yeah like i've seen this game before i think at a gdq event or something like that and um yeah i'm actually kind of intrigued by it so if you check it out let me know what you think buddy but uh we also got super valis Four, which is an anime style action platformer like Castlevania, is a lot of there's quite a bit of connective tissue between mm-hmm. this and Castlevania. Of course, the fourth game in the series, but it it holds up pretty well as an action platformer. I played this one as well, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. But I'm, I mean, obviously, yes, those games are cool, and it's good to have <laughs> them. But the story here is obviously Donkey Kong Country 3. The trilogy is now complete on the Switch. I am unreasonably excited about the fact (laughs) that I have Donkey Kong Country 3 on the Nintendo Switch. I know anybody who heard our top five list on our favorite rare games of the Nintendo era knows that this is my favorite Donkey Kong Country game. I know I'm in the minority on that. And when we got Donkey Kong Country and then... The next update, we got Donkey Kong Country 2. I kind of let myself think that it might be possible for us to get the third one. But again, because I know that not a lot of other people hold the game in as high regard as I do. I didn't want to get my hopes up. I didn't ultimately, in my brain, think that it would happen. Although in my heart, I really hoped it would. And sure enough, Nintendo gave me an early Christmas present. Because, uh, like I told you, I've already played through the first couple stages of Donkey Kong Country 3 probably five times. I just, I I absolutely love that game. That one, there's just something about Donkey Kong Country 3 that for me really helped define my era with the Super Nintendo. Uh, I, I love it. I love the entire trilogy. They're all absolute classics and i know a lot of people think kitty kong is weird you're absolutely right but but the game is just so good yeah and i mean hey now you can finally see kitty kong on your nice big tv and just take in every pixel of that design (laughs) yeah i have the entire donkey kong country trilogy on my 3ds but there really just is something about playing those games on a television it's the first time in almost 25 years that i've seen donkey kong country 3 and being able to play donkey kong country 3 on a television and yesterday was a very special moment for me a huge fan who is very happy right now 
Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> yeah, I was really happy for you when I saw it. I I thought of you when I saw that announcement. So really happy. It's of course it's a, it's an amazing game. I mean, I think the Donkey Kong Country two versus three argument is a bit like the Mega Man two versus three argument. They're both great. It's just some people prefer one over the other, and you know whatever. They're both. It's still an amazing trilogy that is now complete on the Switch, adding value to the Nintendo Switch Online subscription. And uh, and yeah, we're super happy to see that. Um, one thing I did just want to point to, I'm not going to break down the entire interview, but I did want to just point to the interview that Doug Bowser recently gave uh, to Polygon. I will have a link to that in the episode description where Doug talks about things like Nintendo's stance on Joy-Con drift, uh, he talks about his opinions on the rumored Switch Pro and, and kind of goes into detail on a lot of things. He's really careful not to reveal anything, uh, but I did want to just point to that and and give you guys the link to that if you wanted to check it out. I think it's a pretty interesting interview to read through and to sort of get Nintendo's official perspective on a lot of the things going on right now. Yeah, and it's always nice when our close personal friend Doug Bowser gives an interview like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, he could he could come on the show maybe one day, but I think what he's doing, I think Doug, you know, he listens to the show religiously every week, and and I think what he's doing is he's probably waiting until the really big story comes out so he can give it to us exclusively. All of our listeners right now are like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> we love you, Doug. But we did get some new information that we should just briefly talk about when we're talking about the sort of business side of Nintendo. Uh, we did get some new information from the recent Capcom leak that did reveal that Nintendo paid $6 million for nine months of exclusivity when it comes to Monster Hunter Rise on the Nintendo Switch, which is interesting. I mean, they did sort of reveal in this leak that Rise will eventually come to PC, but it looks like Nintendo has quite a large window of exclusivity and was willing to pay a pretty penny for it. I mean, considering the fact that Monster Hunter World is Capcom's best-selling game of all time, considering yeah. how incredibly successful that game turned out to be, I'm sure that Nintendo thought it was going to be a really good investment for the follow-up to that to be an exclusive for their console handheld hybrid for a while. Yes. Yes, it's going to be huge. And I, you know, it does make me think, I do wonder how much the leak has hurt those potential sales. I do wonder if there's going to be a subset of gamers who now that they know that it isn't going to be exclusive forever are just going to wait. But ultimately, I do think that is the minority. I, I do think this game is still going to quite handily sell 10 million plus copies. And, um, and I think it's going to be a massive, massive success on the Switch. And uh, look... When you boil down the, the optics of it are now, the game comes out at the end of March. If you if they've got a nine month exclusivity deal, now you're not going to get it on anything else until 2022. You know, so that sounds like a long way away, at least. And I think that that's going to go a long way for Nintendo. You know what I think you do with that exclusivity window? I think you add limited time rewards. I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying that. I would necessarily agree with stuff like that, but doing stuff like we see Fortnite doing, doing daily or weekly challenges, something to that effect, you, you do something to try to make the players feel like they'd be missing out if they don't get the game right, right now. And it would not surprise me at all, especially in light 
of these leaks that come out, the fact that people know that it's not going to be exclusive forever. It would not surprise me at all if Nintendo did try to, I don't want to say pressure Capcom into doing something like that, because I don't know how much, uh, I don't know how much, you know, clout Nintendo has in terms of the development or adding any kind of content at all to the game, despite the fact that they paid Capcom $6 million just for the exclusivity. But I could see something like that happening uh, because Capcom obviously still wants the game to sell well. So it might be in their best interest. They might feel that it might be in their best interest to do something like that, to try to push more copies out the door to make people feel like buying the game now and playing the game now is in their best interest. I think you're spot on. I think you're dead on with that. Um, we saw a lot of stuff like that happen with Monster Hunter World. They did some timed events. Like, I think there was an event where you could get like an Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn like outfit pack or something. And yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and, and like I think there was a Devil May Cry collaboration as well. This stuff didn't end up coming until actually really recently to the game. You could only like just now get it. So I, I think you're right on. I, I think we're gonna see a lot of that, and, and I think that this leak may have hurt a little. Uh, this, this may have kind of stunted some sales growth, but, but I think by and large, this game is still going to be an absolute blockbuster on switch. And I know I'm going to be there day one. And it'll be interesting to see if it does wind up beating the sales for monster hunter world. I think it's possible. I think it's absolutely possible. All right. Well, here at the end of the news drop, we just want to shout out one last little thing real quick. And that is the fact that the Funimation app is now available on the Nintendo switch which is really really interesting yeah it's kind of funny because the the reason that this is so noteworthy right is because somehow we have like a hulu app we have a youtube app and stuff but now we have got a funimation app before we have i don't know netflix i don't know disney plus like (laughs) that's crazy to me yeah obviously nintendo and the switch have never really billed themselves as a streaming device but it's still kind of weird because every other console on the market right now is such an app machine. Obviously, they all play right. games. That's their primary purpose. But they have so many different applications now. Everybody has their own streaming service. And I watch, admittedly, I use my Xbox One for Netflix and my Disney Plus and my YouTube and my WWE Network and all that stuff. I guess for the most part, Nintendo doesn't feel like they need to enter that arena, but yeah, they still decided to put Hulu on there. They still decided to put YouTube on there, and now we have Funimation on here. I personally don't know how well they work, if anybody wants to reach out to us and let us know, but I, it almost feels like Nintendo is just kind of dipping their toe in the water every so often to see how well it performs. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's a, I wonder if it's a license, like if it's a price tag thing. I wonder if it's a thing where it's like, hey, if you Nintendo's like, hey, if you want your app on our on our system, you're gonna have to pony up some cash. I don't know if it's that or if it's like the sort of development side of it. If like Netflix and Disney Plus aren't interested in developing a Nintendo Switch app, I can't imagine that's the case. I don't know. It's weird. All I know is it's just like you're forcing me to turn off my Switch. And I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's there. So if you'd like to download it, if you're a huge anime fan, you know, try it out. Maybe the Funimation app now available on 
the Nintendo Switch. And like I said, if you do wind up downloading the app, let us know how it performs. Reach out to us. We're on Twitter at All In Podcast. We're on Facebook at All In Podcast. And please, whatever service you are listening to All In, a Nintendo podcast on, please do like and subscribe. We appreciate every single one of our listeners. Thank you so much for hanging out with us each and every week. Well, we covered the most recent Indie World Showcase earlier on in the show, but for this week's Indie Showcase, we're talking about a game that was actually dropped during a Nintendo Direct Mini all the way back in September, which honestly, at this point, feels like it was about 50 years ago. Uh, (laughs) When this game dropped, it was instantly one of the standout releases of the year, and we've both been playing a bunch of it, so let's get into it, man. It's time we talked about Hades. Hades by Supergiant Games, obviously a massive success for them. It's been really cool to follow these guys and follow their career um, from, you know, all the way back in the building, the Bastion days. I've, I've been following these guys for a really long time. And I got to be honest, man, uh, Hades is probably my favorite work of theirs to date. Yes, Hades, the latest and arguably greatest release from Supergiant Games. Obviously just coming off its amazing victories at the Game Awards, winning for Best Indie Game of the Year and Best Action Game of the Year, which is why for our Year in Review episode, we decided to talk about the game in our Indie Showcase. We really felt there was no other indie game we should talk about this week other than the indie game of the year. And... uh Obviously, with the pedigree that Supergiant has with Transistor and Bastion, Pyre, they're certainly no stranger to accolades and acclaim, but Hades really honestly is a new benchmark for for the company at this point. Yeah, no, it really is. And, And it's honestly kind of crazy that it has met such mass appeal. I mean, everything they've done has been fantastic. I've been a fan of every game they've made so far, but this is the one that... For whatever reason, despite it being the most like quote unquote hardcore, it is a roguelike after all. But I mean, despite all of that, it is still just captured the attention and adoration of so many people. It just seems like it's really taken off. And rightfully so. And obviously the roguelike genre is extremely popular these days. We've talked about quite a few of them here on the show already. And obviously when it comes to Hades, we have already over the course of the last few months already sung its praises quite a bit. But we we really felt that, especially here at the end of the year, it really deserved a real deep dive. And... Well, just to get into it, Hades is essentially an isometric action hack and slash roguelike. It's really mm-hmm. the, the best way I can describe it, where you play as Zagreus. You play as the prince of the underworld, the son of Hades himself. And like the frankly petulant little teenager that he is... <laughs> Kind of the major conceit of the game, the entire motivation for Zagreus at the beginning of the game is just to escape his father, to escape the underworld and get to the surface world. So that's his entire motivation to begin with. But standing in Zagreus's way is the ever-changing, the ever-shifting dungeons, the ever-shifting labyrinth of the underworld. And that's essentially how they canonically explain the roguelike aspect of Hades in the game is the fact that 
the underworld continually shifts and continually morphs around specifically to keep people from escaping. That's essentially a security measure that keeps people, yes. keeps the, uh, keeps the dead from escaping. So uh, I do like that. They, they added that little touch into the game. It always, it, it's always nice where, when a developer can say, you know, not only is this a roguelike, but we've we've made it actually make sense within our universe. I do always appreciate those little narrative touches. And that's that's honestly got to be the thing that is the Hades for me fires on all cylinders, and we'll certainly get into that. But the the thing that uh, really I think stands out above all else is its narrative and its world building and the way that everything is just so considered, everything is so thought out, everything makes sense and this is not the type of thing that you normally talk about when it comes to roguelikes they're very gameplay forward and hades is too and and gameplay is obviously a huge part of it but for a roguelike game to be as narrative focused as hades is is so impressive well one of the things that you're going to notice when you start playing hades is very quickly you are going to meet a lot of different characters for a very yes. self-contained game like most roguelikes are outside of the outside of the dungeon that you run through the main hub area of the game is not very large you don't have this massive open world to explore you essentially have the house of Hades where you set up to go on these runs to try to escape to the surface and then you have the runs themselves but even within this small little hub area you interact with so so many different characters that it can initially seem a little overwhelming but one of the most impressive things about Hades is the fact that it's somehow able to balance all of these different characters and all of these different interactions that you're going to have with everybody you meet across the course of the game and and like the way that the game acknowledges the time that you spend with all of these members of Greek mythology and just the the take that Supergiant has on Greek mythology and the personification of a lot of these characters is so good and so like at once true to what you would expect, but also unique in its own way. And like one of the standout things that you'll notice really quickly is that the game will actually react to and comment on your actions that you're taking as the player, like your unique runs. Yes. Which is absurd and i can't imagine how much work went into making that yes this is already a point that both uh seth and i have made a couple times over the course of all in over the past couple months but yes uh the the amount of dialogue and the amount of different interactions that you can have with all of these different characters is staggering. staggering The the Ugh. incredibly specific things that will constantly be referenced because there are a lot of variables that will come into play, not just doing the runs, but when you're acting, when you're uh, interacting rather with the individual characters and the the piecemeal narrative that you you keep kind of inching toward because the narrative in this game just keeps going. There's there's a ton more story element in this game than I think anybody uh, could have ever conceived of when they started it. It it blows my mind how much, how far 
the story goes. It genuinely feels like it doesn't end sometimes. Like there's always a new narrative thread that's being pulled at. But uh, between all the, the actual story uh, and the dynamic and the interactions going on between yourself and the characters, between the characters and themselves, and between the characters constantly commenting on stuff that you know is gameplay oriented that you're doing. Uh, it's it's just one thing after another, just uh, just information after information after information, reference after reference after reference, and it is just masterfully handled. The the fact that this game was nominated for a narrative award at the game awards in contention with games like the last of us part two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, should really tell you all you need to know. And again, this is not typical of roguelikes. This is not when, when a game is procedural like this and is so based on what the player chooses and the random variables that could happen during a run, like it is so crazy that the game tells its story as, as well as it does. And we're not going to get into any of the events or the spoilers of the game. We've told you the setup and, and that's really all you need to know. But, but man, I just, uh, that is the single most impressive part. I, I would like shudder to, to look at Greg Kitsavin's, uh <laughs> writing document. I, I mean, I can't imagine how much writing uh, was done in this game, but, um, but that's not to say that the gameplay takes a backseat whatsoever. And one last thing before we hit uh, the gameplay is I've absolutely got to shout out Logan Cunningham. He was nominated himself for a game award for best performance for, uh, for portraying the Lord of the undead for portraying Hades. But it turns out Logan Cunningham actually portrays about half the characters in this game, which the narrative itself is really strong, but the characters themselves are also very well performed, which really drives home the writing, really drives home the narrative and just makes you care about the characters that much more. And when you learn that half the characters that you interact with are all performed by a single person, I just have all the respect in the world for Logan Cunningham at this point. Not to say that Zagreus... Uh, the voice of Zagreus didn't do a fantastic job because he did. Turns out that was actually the the voice director for the game, wasn't it? He's so yeah, Darren Darren Corp. Th- this is crazy, man. I I'm just gonna go on a, on a little brief tear here about Supergiant Games because, like like I said at the top, I have followed these guys from when they were just like in a small house living together back-to-back computers, you know, like just nothing, you know, and, and now to see, you know, Logan Cunningham is somebody they found really early on and he was the voice of the narrator in Bastion and he has sort of been a very present part in all of Supergiant's games. He was also the voice of the, the sword and Transistor and stuff and he, he's all he's also, he's always been there. He's always been a prolific part of all of their games. Um, but then Darren... Darren Korb has always done the phenomenal music for all the super giant games. And he's the sound director. He composes the music. He, uh, yeah, directs the voice actors, but then he also voices the main character in this one, Zacharias. And he's fantastic. Yeah. He's, he's a legit professional voice actor. If you had told me that, it was a very well-known, very prestigious American yeah. voice actor. I would have 100% believed you. It's just so funny to me to like, like I've seen footage of, you know, back in the day, like when, when Logan was recording those first narrative lines for, uh, for Bastion, like in a closet, 
You know what I mean? And <laughs> it's just so cool to see now, like the progression of that career and, and to see him now voicing all of these characters in Hades and just killing it. Uh, I mean, yeah, everything about this game is so high standard. And talking about high standards, the narrative, the performances, both are fantastic. However, the gameplay also is just really, really great in this title as well. Phenomenal, I would even say. Yeah, and so the combat and, and like moving through these these different kind of layers and realms of the underworld, making your way up to the surface, the, the combat is pretty pitch perfect. And, and just to get into that for a second, the basic move set that Zagreus has got, Zagreus has got a dash that he can use both offensively and defensively to go towards things aggressively or to get away. Um, or for basic movement, he has got a standard attack. He has got a special attack. And then of course he's got his cast, which has a lot of different applications and has an expendable and retrievable resource tied to it. Of course, all these things can be upgraded and deepened. Uh, this is an extraordinarily deep game, and, and we can touch on some of that for sure. But another major component of this game are the boons that you get from the different gods and deities in Greek mythology. <laughs> yes. Uh, as you're going throughout the dungeons, through Tartarus and Asphodel and Elysium, and eventually up to the surface, you are going to essentially encounter proxies of the different Olympian gods of Zeus and Dionysus and Demeter and Poseidon and Aphrodite. And they are trying to help you escape. And the way they're doing that is by essentially giving you power ups. And this is a big part of the roguelike nature of the game. Obviously a big calling card of roguelikes is the randomization uh, element and the the boons or power-ups that you'll get throughout the course of these runs are oftentimes randomly generated however yes. essentially every room every chamber that you go through you'll wind up getting either resources or one of these boons or power-ups so you are constantly going to be adding abilities adding buffs adding capabilities to not just your dash, not just your attacks, but your cast as well. And even some passive abilities uh, through, you know, these different uh, through these different power ups. So throughout the course of each run, you are constantly going to be getting new abilities that's going to be expanding on what you can already do. And a lot of them, especially once you learn how to pair once you learn kind of the synergy around the boons, you can create yeah. some really, really impressive loadouts. Obviously, you don't start the game super powerful. Obviously, with any roguelike, uh, it's something where you'll continue to get better. You'll continue to get stronger. You'll continue to get permanent attribute increases. And as you go through the game, you will learn the different gods and the different types of abilities that they will give you, the different types of status effects that each one kind of specializes in. And, you know, it's really, really cool because you can really, despite the random nature of a lot of it, there is a lot of choice involved and you can really tailor your own moveset and your own boon list to to your play style because you do uh, oftentimes 
have have choices, not just between the chambers that you'll go to, because you can see which power ups or which resources mm-hmm. are going to be in each chambers. But when you do have that option to get boons or power ups, you most of the time will have an option between, you know, two or three of them to choose from. So uh, again, despite that random element, by the end of the game, you you will still have a strong element of choice and there's a strong element of strategy in terms of the power-ups and boons that you choose. So it's not just the weapons, it's not just the dash, it's not just the moveset. You also have, you know, this constant stream of power-ups that you're trying to tailor. Uh, and some boons may be a lot better suited to different weapons because Zagreus has yep. multiple weapons that he can choose. He'll choose one of his multiple weapons to start, and then you you go through and you start your your run that way. Yeah, it's the the weapons are really impressive, and and you'll definitely kind of find some of your favorites. And the game does things to encourage you to sort of break out of that comfort zone. But yes. You will be kind of from chamber to chamber. It's almost like a little compartmentalized RPG structure where you're sort of building a character throughout the course of this run. You, you are building a loadout. You are sort of with all the boons and the resources that, that are available to you, kind of tailoring yourself to your own play style in conjunction with your weapons. So a really good example of this, right, that I'll just that I'll just shout out. One of my favorite weapons is the shield. I think it's the Aegis shield in the game. And that's one of my favorite things to go for automatically. And a lot of the complimentary things are are revolved around like deflection and stuff like that. So these are the things that going into the run, I I already know that I'm going to be looking out for if I'm running with the shield and I've got other things in mind for other weapons and other builds and other play styles. And the amount of options varies wildly. And they, they just give you so many tools to play with here. Yeah. And even between the different Olympian boons that you can get, there are also specific weapon based augmentations that you can get. If you see a hammer icon, uh, when you're going through and you have the option to go into a hammer, the Daedalus room, hammer, the Daedalus hammer. Yes. yes, definitely choose that because the Daedalus hammer will give you an option of some absolutely game changing abilities mm-hmm. for your different weapons. Uh, Zagreus will wind up having six different base weapon styles to choose from. But the different effects that the Daedalus hammers have on those weapons can even make those act wildly different from each other. Just talking about, uh, just talking about the the Aegis shield, which is for all intents and purposes like a Captain America style shield weapon, because not yeah. only can you bash with it and attack with it, you can charge with it, you can throw it, you can do several things with it. But there are several different abilities just with the shield. There's an ability you can get for the Daedalus Hammer that will give that charge ability that I briefly mentioned, that bull rush ability, a massive attack Mm -hmm. bonus against armored enemies. There's one uh, bonus that'll make it hit like six or seven extra enemies when you throw it like a Captain America shield. And there are even abilities that you can get from the Daedalus Hammer that will make the weapon act completely different and give it a completely different playstyle. There's a couple projectile weapons in the game that can go from being more like sniper weapons to like rocket launcher style weapons. 
And yep. and that makes them play completely different. You technically have the same weapon, but depending on the, the boons that you pick up, you can wind up having completely different strategies uh, from, you know, every different run you go through. And that's, that's just the boons and the power-ups. That's nothing to talk of the passive abilities that you'll constantly be upgrading through the mirror in Zagreus's room. That's nothing to talk about the accessories that you're going to be using. I was pretty well beyond the credits in this game, and I was legitimately still finding entire new layers to the combat system. I'm not just talking about like new accessories to try out, like full on new combat mechanics to this game. The, the depth, the depth of combat in this game is ridiculous. And one of the most interesting things about it is not just how deep it is, but because of the boon system, because you are constantly upgrading, because you are constantly changing and enhancing your capabilities, it makes it super, super interesting. It's not, uh, like many other roguelikes where for most of the run, you'll wind up having the same moveset when it comes to combat throughout the run, throughout any given run in Hades, your capabilities are constantly going to be evolving. You are constantly going to be getting access to new capabilities that you're definitely going to want to take advantage of. And, you know, just having that every, every few seconds, having something new to play with helps keep the game constantly fresh even after dozens and dozens of runs and that's that is what is so key here i think about the gameplay is the fact that there is so much variation there is so much to do there is so many options available to the player there is always even if you fail the run like even if you don't make it all the way up and even if you don't complete the run you're always also working towards something because a lot of the resources you can then bring back with you to the house of Hades and and continue to upgrade and make your next run that much easier you're always working towards something and when you work towards it you're always doing it a different way and that is just so key i think to to what makes this game stand out it is like Nothing for a roguelike to get that so wrong, but the fact that Supergiant has nailed it this way in Hades is just part and parcel of what makes it so addictive. I, I mean, like it's it, it was nothing for me to just lose hours <laughs> playing this game and just watching the hours just melt away because you just had to do that one more run and you know what if this is the one and you know they're just everything, man. Like the. The way that like random things can happen, I'm not going to spoil them, but like the way that characters can pop up and little events in the chambers can pop up, the the ways that the boss fights can change yep. between runs. I mean, like it, there's just so much content here. And even after the dozens and dozens of hours you and I have spent between the two of us playing this game, for us to still be discovering new layers to just the combat, I mean, it's it's absurd. The amount of work on display here is absurd. And again, this all comes from a game that's really self-contained. Again, all you have is really this small little hub area and then the, the dungeon that you go through, the singular, granted, ever-changing dungeon that you go through to get to the end of the game. It's It just really feels like they've taken a small game and squeezed every possible little drop of entertainment value of it both from the gameplay perspective both from a narrative perspective uh and also from an audio and visual 
perspective. Yes. I do definitely want to talk about the, the art direction in this game because we did mention last week that in addition to being nominated for several other different awards, this game was also nominated at the Game Awards for Best Art Direction. Yes, and and Gen, Gen Z's art has never been better. I mean, like the art for Supergiant Games has always been standout. But, but again, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. All of the things that have always been great about Supergiant Games is here and elevated. And, and yeah, I mean, like the, the variety and the different layers of the underworld as you're working your way up, the variety of enemies, the variety of like the visuals you'll be seeing, the variety in the music, uh, just presentationally, this game is, is a tour de force. And, you know, I wasn't shocked that Ghost of Tsushima took best art direction. But I, I do think, again, to to touch on what I said when we were talking about how it was also narr- uh, nominated for best narrative, the fact that this game can stand toe-to-toe with a triple A, basically an Akira Kurosawa film, like the fact that this game's art can stand toe-to-toe with that should tell you everything you need to know about how beautiful it is. Yeah, it's insane to think that this is still somehow technically an indie game, considering that it was nominated in so many different categories. It was nominated for Best Narrative. It was nominated for Best Direction. was nominated for Best Action Game and won Best Action Game. It was nominated for Best Score. All of these huge, massive categories that are always so monopolized by AAA releases, this independent game studio just comes in and just flops its big game down on the table and says not this year yeah and i mean like you you look at you look at hades and its base components right and they're just all firing on all cylinders they the story is phenomenal the gameplay is phenomenal the music phenomenal the you know the art phenomenal everything about this game is a 10 out of 10. Like it's just, it's everything about this game is great. And it's an independent game made by a small team. And Supergiant has really, despite all their success, maintained that sort of indie feel. All the same people who have been there from the start are still there today. And it, it just, the way it all comes together in Hades is, is crazy. And like, I, I can't, I can't say enough good things about it. And I, I don't want to get like super in the weeds on mechanical stuff because I, I do think that the, a lot of the joy of Hades is in discovering it for yourself and peeling back the layers yourself and figuring all this stuff out. And and trust me, folks, we've talked a lot about this stuff. We have not spoiled anything and we have not even scratched the surface of what awaits you in Hades. <laughs> in all honesty, we really haven't. We haven't talked about... Uh, just like little extra touches in addition to the combat. They do actually add a couple of little extra non-combat flourishes that you can do while you're Mm -hmm. traversing through the dungeons. We're not talking about any of the, the stuff that you can do outside of character interactions. When you get back to the house of Hades, there's like, there's like building customization. There's a relationship system in the game. It's nuts. Yeah. And honestly, if I was going to say anything negative about the game, that would probably be that. And that's the fact that for all of these different mechanics in the game, for every single one of them, you'll wind up needing a different resource for. Mm-hmm. Genuinely, there's, I, th- I think around 10, like nine or 10 different 
currencies, different resources in the game that you're going to need. Uh, you'll have one for upgrading your, your static abilities. You'll have one that'll help you deepen your relationships with the characters. You'll have one that'll allow you to customize and buy little accoutrements for the House of Hades. You'll have, again, each mechanic, each little piece of the game essentially has its own resource that you'll have to spend. And if I was going to say any one thing about the game, I do think it should have been a little bit more streamlined. But that's I can see that. That's one small thing in in an ocean in an ocean of awesome. No, yeah, I I could see that. And and to their credit, they do have a character in the game that that does allow you to sort of they, they do give you some avenues to acquire the things you want and like trade things and and they, there are avenues to earning and you know getting rid of the things you don't want and earning the things that you do. So. I got to give them a little credit for that. And also, you know, if I had to nitpick, um, there is a little bit of just, I, I have encountered admittedly a few of the things that are just inherent with roguelikes. And, and that's like just some, some jank every now and then, you know, not anything huge, but just like every now and then I'll, I'll encounter like a random room that sort of felt a little, you know, it's there, it's not like a weird, like spelunky, like tile based thing. We're just, you know, sometimes you'll bump into a structure that just makes no sense. But yeah. every now and then, I'm like, ah, oh, really? Like they, like they, they put a pit there. <laughs> you know, I mean. But other than that, yeah, and occasionally, once in a while, I mean, it is a roguelike. So every once in a while, you're still going to have that run where you just say to yourself, "Is like, man, can I, can I not even get a single." rare right boon can i can i get two boons that actually work remotely well together you know but even that like even that they have included so many options to make even that better for yourself like the way that the relationship system in the game plays into like these keepsakes that will allow you that you can use to like if you favor a certain deity's boons you can increase the chances of that like Every element of this game goes so much deeper than you expect and everything sort of plays in together. And it's just, it's so thought out and beautiful. And again, I, I don't want to spoil too much more than that for you, but just there, layered is the best word I can think of for this game. This yeah. game just has layers and layers and layers. Yeah, genuinely the best way I can just describe this game, if I were just going to have a one or two sentence pitch, was every mechanic in the game goes a lot deeper than you ever expect it to. But if you've played Hades or you plan on playing Hades, definitely reach out to us and let us know. Talk to us about Supergiant's phenomenal award-winning game. We would definitely love to hear from you and hear your experiences with it. Make sure to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter and tell us. And even though we've said it a lot, I just do want to say one last time, congratulations to Supergiant Games on Hades' big wins at the Game Awards this past week, winning not just for Best Indie Game, but for Best Action Game of the Year. Yes. And, you know, man, what a year it has been. Yeah, no kidding. Some really, really important things within the world of video games did happen. Uh, there was a brand new podcast started this year called All In, a Nintendo podcast. Obviously, a seismic event that will be long remembered in the history of the industry. But 
in less than two weeks. It is going to be 2021. And with us flipping over the calendar here very, very soon, we thought it was time for us to take a look back on the year in Nintendo. So all joking aside, 2020 has been an insane year. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just talk about the world at large real quick. We all know what's been going on. We all know the challenges that basically Earth has had this past year. We have seen a global pandemic unlike anything that we've seen in a century, at least. Our grandparents have, you know... Honestly, polio was really the last thing even remotely like this. Uh, Our generation, our parents' generation, and even many of our grandparents have never really seen something like, you know, like the coronavirus and what the world has had to do to try to combat this, this disease. So it's been an extraordinarily interesting year, an extraordinarily telling year in many respects. But... You know, so many industries have been hit really, really hard throughout the course of 2020. There are many industries that are frankly on the verge of utter collapse. So many businesses have gone under and obviously our hearts go out to to all those who have been struggling over the past year. Uh, I genuinely hope for all those out there that that are going through hard times that you're able to make it through uh, unscathed and just know that you know, good times are on the way. Yeah, but I mean, it's been really crazy when you look at the video game industry in particular and, and you know, kind of seeing the way that they've had to roll with those punches and the way that they've had to react and, and specifically Nintendo. I mean, we have seen in 2020, it's been a year unlike any other. And I think in 2020, we've really seen a Nintendo unlike any other. It was really weird when I think about the way that 2020 started, right? And it it feels like so long ago. I joke about it all the time on the show, I know, but no, seriously, this year felt like it was five years long. And I look back at the start of the year, I was like, man, like I went to PAX South in January and like, I, that, that seems like so long ago. And then, you know, when we, when we get to March, when the COVID stuff really sort of took off here in the States, like, yeah, I think that was the big question in everybody's mind is like, like, how are we going to bounce back from this? How are we going to figure this out? And with Nintendo, we've seen such a huge shakeup in terms of like their typical strategy. I mean, with the cancellation of so many of these conventions like PAX with like E3 effectively being canceled, all these major trade shows, like Nintendo's strategy this year has been really interesting because it's had to be really interesting. And interesting doesn't really always mean effective, I feel, but right. Uh man, didn't doesn't it just seem like simpler times back in January when we thought we were going to war with Iran? <laughs> well, just like even I remember thinking to myself when I was at PAX South, I was like, "Oh man, like it's kind of lame that there's no Nintendo booth here this year." And then, you know, flash forward to just a a few scant months later, and it's like, oh, man, it's real lame that there's no Nintendo anything right now. (laughs) Well, what really happened was there was a couple basketball players, a couple NBA players that wound up contracting COVID. Uh, A couple guys were joking about it, and then somebody 
you know, tested positive, a couple basketball players tested positive. And then that was really when a lot of people in the U.S. started taking it seriously. That was the, oh, this is serious now kind of moment for, I think, much of the country. That and it was right around that time that I believe Tom Hanks was also diagnosed positive. But, you know, those two events, it was right around that time that everything just started to, to shut down where different organizations were just saying to themselves, okay, you know, we, we thought this was relatively contained. Clearly not. If it can get to these high level individuals, then we have to start protecting our people. Yes. We, we as a society have adopted the phrase pre and post Hanks Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Here in December, we're, we're trying to start taking all the dominoes off the board, so to speak. Mm. Uh, we're really hoping that, that no more of those fall down. But obviously after all the dominoes did start falling, everything started to become a, a victim of, of COVID-19 and San Diego comic-con and, uh, and it was, you know, E3 within the world of video games. E3 was kind of the, the major casualty. Obviously you still had stuff like Tokyo game show. You had Evo, which were all, you know, very, uh, harshly affected by COVID as well. Uh, Tokyo Game Show had some kind of virtual format. Evo was trying yeah. to do something. They were trying to have some online tournaments. And then, unfortunately, there was some non-COVID related stuff that happened with Evo that really put the death nail in that yeah. happening this year. But, you know, we're not talking about that necessarily in this. We're just trying to give, you know, a little bit of general background yeah sense of scope for the year of 2020 in general yeah yeah because ultimately nintendo was uh deeply deeply affected as well now because nintendo is such a big company they have been able to weather the storm a lot better than many other companies because they produce video games which uh it's, it's kind of a good thing that video games in recent years have gone to more of a digital distribution format because here in 2020, that has been a major boon for the company. Whereas the movie industry has seen a massive hit. It really looks like theaters may not fully recover post COVID, but because video games, even AAA video games, because the industry has been slowly moving more toward a digital distribution format. Granted, of course, you can still buy many physical video games, but with digital distribution, that has really helped keep the the entertainment, the, the video game industry afloat. And Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo have all been able to really weather the storm up until now. But it has not been without some adverse effects. It's certainly not. And I think when we look back to the start of all of this stuff and we look at, you know, we were starting to hear kind of rumblings. I think Nintendo had made a statement kind of early into it saying, hey, like, you know, COVID-19 is going to impact like hardware and accessory manufacturing. Um, I think it was in March when we got that first sort of the splash screen that we still, I mean, to this day, we... Uh, you know, we talked earlier in the show about the Indie Showcase, the Indie World Showcase that happened this week. And even now, we're still seeing the, you know, possible COVID-19 related delays splash screen that we now see in front of all these little mini directs and stuff. And uh, Nintendo started to acknowledge that kind of at the start of the year. And and it, I think that was when it was sort of clear to me that, oh, no, like this is 
something that's quite a bit more serious because I feel like a lot of folks, especially in America, at the start of Corona did sort of write it off a little bit as yeah. not being the big deal that it has become. I'll I'll fully admit I definitely didn't take it as seriously as I should have at the start of everything um, and didn't think it was going to still be something we would be talking about nine months down the road. Well, I don't um, think anybody did specifically because how many of these almost pandemics have we had to deal with? It, it feels like every year there was this almost pandemic from swine flu to SARS to yeah. bird flu to, you know, just all of these different diseases that almost became COVID according to the scientists and to the media outlets. This one was just the disease that, that did that. I don't know what it was. I don't know what made this one special. I don't know if it was just, we had been through so many of them that the preventative measures that were in place became lax and ineffectual. Maybe just as a world, we got complacent after defeating so many diseases and so many would-be viruses out there that uh, we got a superiority complex over them or something. Maybe. Yeah, just because to show how like on the brink of collapse it truly is. (laughs) Like at any given moment, all it takes is like is that one thing that slips through, you know, that can just completely change the game. Yeah. To quote, you know, Joker and Killing Joke, just that one bad day, you know? Yeah, for years, the scientists and the doctors have been saying, you know, during all of these almost pandemics, you know, we need to take these measures, we need to do this in order to stop this. And, you know, <laughs> now all of them are just saying, you know, We've been saying for years that these measures had to be put in place to stop this. This is what happened when you guys don't listen to us. Yeah, and I don't want to get super duper into the weeds on COVID and like and and try to take a you know a turn towards that sort of. I don't want to be too much of a downer because I do think that we uh, Nintendo did sort of bounce from it and did sort of do some interesting things, and I think ultimately had a pretty good year. But we did have to sort of talk about COVID as a generalization just to give you the sense of the scope of the year in general, because I think it is easy to forget like how far we've come in it all, where it started, how it's been going, where we're at now. Like it's easy to sort of not be able to see the forest from the trees, you know? Yeah. And Nintendo did obviously have a few very notable releases in the early part of the year before COVID really took hold, but going into the second quarter and obviously into late spring and early summer, it was clear that Nintendo was going to have to start taking some different approaches to their marketing and their releases. And admittedly, uh, You know, Nintendo showed some flashes of brilliance with their marketing and then in equal measure, arguably more than equal measure, a lot of what Nintendo did this year uh, post-COVID. Post-Hank Wilson. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, everything that Nintendo's done really post-Hanks Wilson, I guess is what we're calling it. Again, there's been flashes of brilliance, but even more head-scratching moments. So many times where we've just gone, what are you guys doing over there? Is the marketing department even going to work? Yeah, and and one of the things that I like to point back to right at the start of our show, 
we could also call this world, you know, pre and post all in, but that's another thing altogether. Uh, <laughs> but the the way that they handled the announcement of a major first party release in Paper Mario the Origami King, let's not forget, folks, that on a random Thursday in May, they announced a first party major AAA Paper Mario release and released it just barely two months later. And that was one of the very first things we covered on the show when we first started. Yeah, the very first, our very first main discussion segment was essentially a trailer breakdown of Paper Mario the Origami King. Uh, We just, we couldn't believe that Nintendo was holding on to this, even in light of everything that was happening. We couldn't believe that that was the first we were hearing about this massive AAA first party installment of just two months before it was going to be released to the public. That would essentially become Nintendo's MO for most of the rest of the year. And I I really do disagree with a lot of what they did because following that, we had some Pokemon announcements. We had uh, that Nintendo Treehouse Live. Yeah, that infamous one, the Bakugan one. Yeah, the Bakugan one. We had the Pokemon Unite announcement that seemed to... Uh, that was apparently more marquee than new Pokemon Snap in that regard. So several months there in the middle of the year, we didn't really know what was going on. And we were really excited for Paper Mario the Origami King to come out. But once it did, we really didn't have any idea about what else Nintendo had planned for the rest of the year. Obviously, we know that a lot of what they had planned was presumably going to be announced at E3. but. I assume because of COVID, they didn't necessarily know what their timeline was going to be on everything. Mm. So they just held all of their cards really close to the vest to the point where there was just just rampant speculation from people, people throwing out wild rumors all over the place just because we had no clue what was going on. And then, you know, we kind of wandered through the desert for a while there and then a phenomenal indie world showcase earlier on in the year that showed off Spiritfarer and Raji and several other really, really amazing games that we still want to talk about at some point that came out. And all of a sudden we went from having almost nothing to talk about and play on our Nintendo switch to having everything to talk about and play. And then following that in September, we finally got the the Super Mario 35th. Yeah, and that's something that I actually want to point to because they're those are really, you know, we've talked already a bit about the sort of head scratching marketing and and those kind of weird months there kind of like in the thick of COVID and and just the way Nintendo's strategy had changed kind of arguably not for the better and stuff and and it was really weird and hard to make sense of for a few months there, but they had really strong advantages at the beginning and end of this thing. And, you know, you had this amazing Super Mario 35th Direct leading into, of course, Super Mario 3D All-Stars. But then you had, you know, it can't be understated, the juggernaut that was Animal Crossing New Horizons hitting right there at the start, at the end of March, right place, right time. That was just such a healing salve for so many people during Corona. And I think that... Animal Crossing alone probably carried Nintendo through a lot of this stuff. Even though we had like all of that weirdness, we did at least still have Animal Crossing 
that led us up through up until at least that amazing Mario Direct. And if we're being completely honest, I would argue that a big reason for Animal Crossing New Horizons continued success throughout most of the year was the fact that for most of the year, that was Nintendo's most notable release because we spent so long with almost nothing to talk about between the release of Animal Crossing in March and essentially Pikmin toward the end of October. All we really had was Paper Mario the Origami King right there in the middle. What are you talking about? We had Jump Rope Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> we did have Jump Rope Challenge, and that was that was a huge 300-hour uh, <laughs> massive endeavor. Yes. But for, for the vast majority of the year, that's what everybody had to really fall back on. Of course, there were a lot of old Nintendo games that still sold very, very well because of the lack of, of releases for most of the year. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe continued to sell incredibly well. Oh, yeah. uh, Super Smash Brothers continued to sell incredibly well. And other first-party games continued to sell incredibly well. Just like we talked about with the NPD numbers earlier, there are a ton of years-old Nintendo yep. games that are still selling incredibly well, you know, two, three years down the line since the Switch came out. But there was always Animal Crossing there, you know, to to kind of... <laughs> almost like this safety net for 2020 yep. uh, in, in terms of Nintendo. But once Nintendo kind of figured their marketing out there after that Indie World Showcase, it admittedly did start to seem like they started to not necessarily fire on all cylinders, but seemed like they actually had a plan moving forward. And they did start to execute it. And, you know, following those few months lost in the desert, the last few months have have really been uh, kind of just rainbow shooting out of our yeah. eyes with this cavalcade of phenomenal indie games with all of this amazing 35th anniversary Super Mario goodness with uh, these great first party releases here toward the end of the year with Pikmin 3 Deluxe and of course Super Mario 3D All-Stars and with Age of Calamity just coming out and this and these great games that we now know that we have to look forward to into the early part in the summer of 2021. So Yeah, and I just want to say also that it has been an amazing year to start this show and to be Nintendo content creators for that reason. Not only just because we obviously love making the show for you guys, but also because like after that period, after that sort of like you know, that amazing Indie World Showcase, the Mario 35th, it legitimately felt like almost every week we were getting some sort of like mini partner showcase or Indie Direct or a Pokemon Direct or something almost every week it felt like. Yeah, and even though they announced last month that their partner showcase was going to be the last partner showcase of the year, we still didn't feel like we were done with these Nintendo Direct spinoff presentations. And of course, it was very, very nice to end the year on another very strong Indie World Showcase. So uh, going into 2021, it very much looks like Nintendo has righted the ship on their marketing, at least. And again, we know we have a ton of stuff to look forward to in 2021. And we're still enjoying a lot of the stuff that's been released just in the past few months here on the Nintendo Switch with 
not just their first party releases, but again, just this massive deluge of of amazing, amazing independent games. And in terms of the content and the games and, and the projects that Nintendo did launch this year, I mean, again, in spite of everything and, and riding the ship, like you just said, Nintendo kind of did pull out and, and kind of did make, you know, lemonade out of the lemons of 2020. It's I just looking at some of the stuff that came out. I mean, look, I mean, we had just looking at the Super Smash Brothers Fighter Pass Volume 2, four releases. We started off with Byleth and then Min Min and then Steve and now Sephiroth. God, 2020's been so long that Byleth came out this year? In January. I remember actually Byleth came out. The the Byleth presentation happened while I was at PAX. I remember watching it in the hotel room. Yeah, so it's been nuts. Like, I, I can't believe that they still managed to release four Smash Fighters in the year that was 2020 and really sort of, again, make lemonade. I, I mean, it's crazy. And then in terms of, you know, also talking about DLC, two Pokemon expansions. Early on in our mm-hmm. in our run, we covered um, the Isle of Armor, which happened. And then we also just had the Crown Tundra release last month. And, I mean, it was, they were both really good. Um, we had the Lego stuff that happened with Nintendo. Uh, the Lego Cross Super Mario, the Lego NES, which kind of became like an internet phenomenon there for a little bit. <laughs> we, of course, had Mario Kart Live, which was another crazy experimental project that we both still really want to play. Of course, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention stuff that kind of is a lower key release, but like we both loved Clubhouse Games. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, which I still want to play. You know, got to shout that out. And you and I were talking about this. I didn't know. I didn't realize that. Good job, that little yeah indie game. I thought it was an indie game, but it turns out Good Job on the Switch was developed by Nintendo as well. That blew my mind. Yeah, and I mean, like some pretty major stuff. We just had that Fire Emblem uh, Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light. You know, just came out. I mean, just the the amount of work that Nintendo has still been able to put out in 2020, despite everything, despite delays and stuff. Um, we got more Mario Maker 2 updates, the final kind of big update um, for Mario Maker 2. That that was pretty crazy. The wonderful 101 remastered Kickstarter uh, happened and was completed and funded successfully and is now out and just got a major update itself. And I, I just, I look back at it, I'm like, you know what? Like, we did get quite a bit of work done. And that's to say nothing of stuff that got announced for next year, stuff that got delayed to next year. When I think about No More Heroes 3 getting a delay. That and Bravely Default 2. Yeah, 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 exactly. And really, I think the, I I think the output, you know, was, was still really impressive, all things considered. And now 2021 is poised to be an incredible year because of that, uh, in terms of releases. Uh, There's still several things that I hope we get updates for soon, but I mean, we we just saw the announcement of the world ends with you, the the sequel to that, Neo. Like, there's there's some awesome stuff on the horizon. We just got an update on Super Nintendo World opening next spring. I mean, there there seems to be a lot of a lot of reasons to be happy with Nintendo. But there's one more thing that I that I did want to just sort of touch on that I think a lot of people might forget. It's something that we covered on the show and spent a lot of time with. And that is, of course, the fact that the 3DS was officially discontinued uh, this year. Uh, we, of course, 
did plenty of reminiscing on the 3DS uh, when that happened, and and I encourage you guys to go back and listen to that episode when we talked about the the best games on the system and and kind of reminisced on our time with it. But yeah, that was another thing. The 3DS was sort of put out to pasture this year. So it was kind of like a a year of ups and downs, I think, for Nintendo's releases, projects, and and things sort of happening in their world. And ironically enough, one of the best things we can say about Nintendo in 2020 was, granted they weren't new releases, but the long-rumored Super Mario 3D All-Stars finally coming to fruition and getting released... Uh, again, that was that was more than likely initially going to be an E3 announcement, probably Nintendo's big marquee E3 announcement. But you know, once those r- rumors started swirling around, and everybody started saying to themselves how amazing it would be if it actually were true, and then it came out, it was the huge cherry on the cake that was the Super Mario 35 direct and oh man just being able to relive three of the greatest 3d platformers ever released it was fantastic i mean i don't care what anybody says about that game what kind of like hot takes and opinions there are about that game the fact that i have those games on my switch still just makes me happy see those opinions and those hot takes do exist though and as well as we think nintendo may have potentially stuck the landing of 2020 a lot of those opinions and hot takes and optics yes did certainly put a damper on nintendo's 2020 when they were trying to write the ship because it was not all sunshine and rainbows here at the end of the year in fact throughout 2020 nintendo did admittedly be part of some pretty regrettable controversies. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about those briefly as well. It was actually really funny. And I want to shout out really quick the exhaustive uh, episode that Easy Allies just did of Friend Code of their Nintendo 2020 year in review. It is, I, I encourage you guys to check it out and I'll actually link to it in the video description because I am going to reference it here because man, like they really broke down every single solitary event in Nintendo in 2020 in a like two hour and 13 minute episode of Friend Code. So I definitely encourage you guys to check that out for like a full breakdown kind of thing. But um, one thing that I'm going to point to here that they have sort of shouted out is that back in January, Nintendo president, you know, Mr. Furukawa uh, actually commented positively on Smash and esports, and it is just really funny when you flash forward to now, and the the sort of like drama that's been going on <laughs> we just talked about last week on the show with hashtag you know free melee and save Smash and all that. There's definitely a little bit of uh, drama going on there, and a little bit of juxtaposition between their initial stance on that versus what we ended up with, and also you know. The stuff with the Joy-Con drift, the lawsuits, the apology, the the official apology that Furukawa issued. Yeah, here from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, there does seem to be a little bit of dissonance between what the Nintendo president is saying and what's actually going on. Because as you just mentioned, he uh, expressed a lot of admiration for the esports scene. And now here toward the end of the year, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between Nintendo and 
their esports scene. Just like, as you just mentioned, he apologized, the president of Nintendo apologized for the Joy-Con drift that has been plaguing Nintendo for years with multiple class action lawsuits. And now again, here toward the end of the year, Nintendo is trying to play it off again as if it's not that big of an issue. And still here in December, we don't really have a definitive answer from Nintendo on on their plan forward in that regard. Right. Uh, obviously, we don't know the outcome of, of all those lawsuits yet, but it, even though it hasn't been in the public eye for a while, that is still an ongoing problem with the Joy-Cons. And we're all hoping, we've all been talking about the rumored fabled Switch Pro coming next year that we hope fixes this issue. But the Joy-Con drift issue still has been a major thorn in not just the company's side, but the consumer's side as well. And it's just weird that there hasn't been a definitive plan of action for that yet now almost four years on from the release of the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, and and one last thing that I wanted to point out as sort of a weirdly positive controversy, just really quickly, is the Giga Leak that happened earlier this year, where yeah. we got all of this amazing, like, original high-quality <laughs> assets of, like, old, like, Nintendo 64 games and stuff. I, I still... And L is real. Yeah, and... I still, man. I Like, I still look back at that with such fondness that 2020 at least gave us that. <laughs> Well, Nintendo certainly seems to have righted the ship in terms of their marketing and their releases. We just hope that they can right the ship as well on, you know, some of their public relations. Yeah. No, I agree. And and we talked about that a lot last week. I think optics are important. And I think that that's something that I would like to see them improve upon next year. Uh, in addition to all the releases that they have coming out that we're really looking forward to. But... I think sort of as we're as we're talking about Nintendo in in a broad scope in 2020 we've talked about the effect that COVID-19 has had on them we've talked about the major releases we've talked about the controversies the leaks the poor optics and some of the ups and downs if we were to assign a grade if you were to assign a a letter grade to Nintendo in 2020 where where do you think you would fall on that it would absolutely be a C a C okay absolutely be a C now Ending relatively strong, I cannot discount all of the obvious missteps that Nintendo has made this year. There's been some great releases. There's been some amazing announcements. There's been some incredibly hype moments. However, just like we've talked about, there have been some objective controversies where we feel that Nintendo was definitely on the wrong side of the decision-making process. There have been some lackluster releases and there definitely have been some head scratching moments in terms of their transparency and their marketing. So there there's been some good moments, but there's certainly been enough to offset that for them. Uh, I love you Nintendo. Uh, but I think a C is very fair to grade you this year with. I, I sort of am, am really, really close. I, I was kind of thinking like a C plus sort of like a, I I completely agree with everything you just said. They they did stick the landing, but you cannot ignore some of the 
you know, just poor decisions that were made. And I understand a lot of it probably is trying to scramble and trying to pick up the pieces and, and trying to like figure out sort of what was, what was going on and how you're going to tackle this huge problem that was COVID. And I think this was a interesting and horrifyingly unusual year for everybody, including Nintendo. So I'm sympathetic to that, but still, uh, I do think that there is some objectively bad things that did tarnish what otherwise was an admirable effort, I think, on their part in terms of actual releases. So, yeah, I think for me, I would go like a C plus, um, and and I think that that, like you said, is is very fair. And look, I hope that 2021 is is even more positive and and inspires even more change in the company and and sees some more amazing games. Uh, but one thing that we wanted to make a little bit of time for as we're ramping into our sort of big, you know, blowout game of the year discussion, uh, I did want to take a moment because we had this conversation sort of internally. There are a bunch of games that we played this year that didn't necessarily come out this year, but we still loved them. And we wanted to take a few minutes to shout some of them out. Yeah, here in a few seconds, we will be counting down our top five Nintendo releases of 2020. But those are all going to be releases from this year. And you and I had a lot of very memorable experiences with games that hadn't been released this year. Right. I'll go ahead and start us off with... Uh, the game that served as our very first indie showcase and served as our very first interview here on All In. I had a very, very powerful reaction to playing Greg Lubanov's Wander Song earlier this year. Had it released in 2020, I think it would have definitely made our top five. The, the, the game, the writing, the incredibly unique gameplay singing mechanic, like the twin-stick shooter-style singing mechanic, uh, uh, the artwork, the the uniqueness of the gameplay, constantly throwing new mechanics at the player and having a bunch of different genres represented. It's just an absolute tour de force of indie games developed alongside a couple other really incredible indie games like Celeste and Eichenfell. Uh, if you've never played Wandersong, again, go back to episode one, check out our interview with Greg Lobanov. I even wound up emailing Greg Labonov personally after I finished the game just because of how powerful I thought the game was and how much it affected me personally. So uh, when it comes to memorable experiences that I've had this year with games that didn't release in 2020, that is, for me, the first thing that pops into my head. Yeah, a big one that, you know, we had a couple of uh, instances this year where we did cover, especially talking about the Indie Showcase. I think a lot of these games are independent games that we're going to be shouting out. But I, I think that um, when I think about Sayonara Wild Hearts, it was... A, yeah. a game that I actually, like, we covered it on the Indie Showcase, and I'd played it before, but revisiting it, I actually kind of forgot, like, how much I love that game and how much I love that game's soundtrack and stuff. And that was, like, a really special experience to revisit when we covered it on the show. And and I was really glad that not only did you play it, I was, I was honestly, like, when I pitched it to you to cover, I was worried how you were going to react. I, I didn't know how you would like it. it. It's a really weird game, and, like, you really enjoyed it, too, and, and we had a great indie showcase. So, you know, revisiting that game was definitely a highlight of the year for me. In terms of AAA releases, I did. I was very happy that I finally got to play Yoshi's Crafted World because... Yeah. 
I mean, it's a first party Nintendo platformer. I'm obligated. I am honor bound. I think it's <laughs> in my actual DNA that I have to play every Nintendo first party platformer that gets released. I missed it uh, at, toward the beginning of 2019 and finally was able to to find a little bit of time here in the middle of the year to pick it up and finally play through that. And uh, I mean, just about every review that you're, you're going to see on it, I think I echo the sentiments of, I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed playing through the game. Uh, ultimately, there's a lot of busy work that the game puts you through an unnecessarily large amount of busy work the game puts you through if you're going to try to 100% it. But aesthetically, the game is amazing. The the detail-oriented, crafted aesthetic that Yoshi's Crafted World has is arguably one of the most adorable in the history of Nintendo. Uh, You can almost see the dry glue globs (laughs) on the little crafts in the background. It's, it's just so effortlessly done. The level design itself is really, really good. And of course, all the Yoshi tropes, you've got your flowers and your red coins and, you know, you know, everything that makes those Yoshi games fun. And if it hadn't been for all the busy work, it would definitely be a must play for me. And again, if you're going to play through Yoshi's crafted world, you're going to have a ton of fun. I don't know if I would recommend 100% in the game, but still, I enjoyed myself quite a bit and was very happy that I finally did get a chance to play through it this year. I, I completely agree with with the sentiment, and and I really like that game too. But yeah, if you're going to play that game, you know, unless you really feel like you need to 100% it, just play through it normally, and I think you're going to have a great time. Um, another game that I wanted to shout out that didn't come out this year that we both really loved and honestly is up there with some of my favorite horror games of all time was Detention. Yeah. We covered the game, you know, pretty extensively during October. Spooky Month had an indie showcase on it. And, like, we both loved that game. Of course, like, watching the Netflix series and stuff now. Um, That game was amazing. Like, I really, really liked it. We had a couple of little nitpicks about it, but I was surprised at how taken I was with that game. Point and Click Adventures is not a very marquee genre these days. It's certainly fallen far off of a lot of people's maps since the days of Monkey Island. But there are still some really, really good ones out there. And a lot of them are horror themed. It's been a long time since I played a Point and Click Adventure. But when we were looking at games for October for Spooky Season, you and I both came across this and it immediately it immediately made an impact on both of us and the, the aesthetic that that kind of 2d paper doll aesthetic that the characters have the genuinely scary moments throughout the game, despite it's relatively short runtime because it's still an indie game, but Oh man, the imagery, the story was really, really well told and even though the gameplay was kind of light, it was still really well done. There was everything there that needed to be there. I, I I really, really hope that they wind up making a sequel to this game at some point. Again, you and I have been watching the Netflix series. As a matter of fact, a couple hours after this episode is over, episodes five and six of the Netflix series should be going live. So definitely check those out if you've checked out the game and you are a fan of the game. 
Yeah, there's also, when we shouted this out when we covered it, but there is a free demo available on the eShop too that we recommend you check out just to get you know, a feel for what the game is. And, and we we really loved it. Um, and the last thing I'll sort of briefly shout out uh, as a game that is amazing that didn't come out this year, but we covered and played this year and actually spawned an inside joke that we make almost every week as we record this show <laughs> uh, that maybe I'll maybe I'll explain to you guys someday, but for now will remain a mystery. But it spawned an inside joke that we legitimately make almost every time we sit down to record this show. Downwell, uh, man, I love that game. I love top down shooters. I was a huge fan of Raiden Trad and Galaga back in the day, and Downwell very much is the weird somewhat corrupted evolution of that genre but still a ton of fun again i think it's only three dollars on the eShop. and if you enjoy top town shooters if you enjoy roguelikes you really can't go wrong it's it's a ton of fun it'll probably take you 50 tries minimum to beat it but but it's 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 so enjoyable it's a blast and the last thing I'll talk about is I am still very slowly, very methodically toiling away at Mario Maker 2, which mm. released last year. Right. I've already made the first couple official levels for All In. So if you want to check those out, those are definitely online and available for you to play right now. And I am in the process of creating a few more. I, I absolutely love Mario Maker. It's one of my favorite communities in Nintendo. The, the insane level of creativity that I'm constantly seeing from the game continues to blow my mind. And if anybody wants to reach out to us in regards to Mario Maker 2, I would love to, to get some advice. I would love to talk about the game. If you have any level recommendations for us, definitely shout those out. And if you have anything you'd like to see from future official all in level releases do let us know. But uh, even though I haven't released a level in a couple weeks, I am still working on that and I'm still enjoying myself quite a bit and hope to enjoy myself quite a bit playing Mario Maker 2 well into 2021. No, absolutely. It's It's been fun to kind of like get back into that game a little bit. And, and you know, especially with the kind of imminent closure of, of Mario Maker, the first one on, on Wii U, um, it, it is sort of nice to have that as a as a soft pillow to land on. And yeah, like you said, the community for that game is amazing. Uh, now they've added like the world updates and stuff like that. There's some really amazing stuff going on in that game. And, and I hope to see that continue well into the future. Well, we have certainly talked a lot about this year. We have talked at length about this year. I don't think we can keep you guys waiting any longer. It is finally time for us to reveal our top five releases on the Nintendo Switch from 2020. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is finally time. The time is here. It is the end of the year. And, you know, we're a video game podcast. So, of course, we have got to count down some of our favorites. And we have got to, you know, put all the significance and circumstance behind it and and really blow it up. But you know, we are going to count down the top five Nintendo releases of the past year in our estimation, and it is going to culminate in All End's official, officially official, super serious game of the year for 2020. Super serious, super serious. Yes. Uh, (laughs) The past 12 months have been really, really interesting. There have certainly been a lot of very notable releases that have come to the Nintendo Switch, and we have our top five ready for you right now culminating in all ends 
Game of the Year 2020. Just real quick before we get into it, I do want to make a quick disclaimer because I already know that folks are going to be like wondering about certain things, thinking they're going to be snubbed. Uh, We are not going to cover some kind of major releases on here because like, for example, Age of Calamity, we're still working on the review for that, which we are going to bring you as soon as possible. But, you know, we definitely wanted to take our time with that game. So we we didn't want to shout the game out here during this segment without having fully given you guys our thoughts. So we, you know, it's, we're not snubbing Age of Calamity or anything. We just wanted to hold off on, on that until we could really dig deep into it. We, we don't do any half measures here on the show. Absolutely not. And our top five games of 2020 are based on a couple different factors. How good the game is, how big of a release it was, and how much impact the game has Mm -hmm. had since it's come out. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Taking the fifth place, our number five game of the year in 2020, Paper Mario, The Origami King. Yeah, we both really enjoyed this game. Now, worth noting... We did have a serious discussion <laughs> yes. about if we should include this game or Bug Fables. Yes, uh, this <laughs> that was probably the most intense discussion of this top five. Now, ultimately, we feel that Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling, is a better game overall on average. However, ultimately, we did have to give the nod to Paper Mario The Origami King because at the end of the day, even though we had a little misgivings with the main battle system, right, there is so much more to enjoy in the Origami King. And just about everything aside from the main battle system, the game really nails. And the boss battles are some of the most unique and fun that personally I've played in a long time. The soundtrack is really good. The adventuring and the variety and all the different stuff you can do in Paper Mario the Origami King is just an absolute blast. We had so much fun with it. Definitely go back and check out our full review of Paper Mario the Origami King from way, way back in July. Yeah, That was back on episode seven, actually. You can go back and check out that review. We really broke it down and and went into all of our thoughts. Uh, Again, we both really liked it. Um, Had a really great time with it. Just like you said, the soundtrack was great. And I really like the the kind of step in the right direction that it was for the Paper Mario franchise. I, I really hope that they continue this trajectory and and just continue to improve. But yeah, it definitely was worth notating that, you know, a little indie game called Bug Fables was knocking on your door. Yeah, if you have been wanting the, the new Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door, then... Ultimately, I don't think with the way the Paper Mario franchise is going that they're ever really going to go back to that. They're they're experimenting a lot with this franchise. Again, Paper Mario the Origami King was very much a step in the right direction. But if you are looking for that classic Paper Mario style gameplay, we cannot recommend Bug Fables, the Everlasting Sapling, highly enough. That was uh, an indie showcase of ours, as a matter of fact, from a couple months back. So go back and check that out as well yeah i mean it's definitely one of those things where paper mario has become something new and something that we still enjoy uh, as evidenced here by paper mario the origami king's inclusion on our list but if you are craving that classic paper mario experience bug fables is the way to go and sort of as we're talking about classic experiences coming into our number four 
it is the revival of a classic series kind of out of nowhere, and it sort of floored us. Uh, our number four is Streets of Rage 4. Yeah. Streets of Rage 4 was an absolute treasure and is an absolute treasure. Seth, you and I had an absolute blast when we played the game. It was nominated at the Game Awards for Action Game of the Year, ultimately losing to Hades. But there have been so, so many classic IPs and spiritual successors that have taken the indie route over the past few years. Obviously, uh, it wasn't Banjo-Kazooie, but Ukulele, obviously. It wasn't Castlevania, but Bloodstained and Mighty Number no. 9. And Toe Jam and Earl was able to officially get a sequel through independent development. And now we have Streets of Rage 4, which of all of those classic style games, uh, licensed versus, uh, versus spiritual successors, I really think that Streets of Rage 4 is the best comeback story of all of these classic style IPs. I think it is the best among all of these games that have tried to reinvent themselves for the new the new generation of consoles. I mean, everything from the art style, the sort of Saturday morning cartoon vibes with the art and the the soundtrack and the gameplay and yeah, the fact that it has pitch perfect online and local co-op. Uh, it really does feel like 2D brawlers are, are having a comeback and a bit of a renaissance as a generalization. But yeah, to see Streets of Rage come back in the modern age in such fine form uh, did our hearts a lot of good this year. <laughs> and the the length of the stages really, really does lend itself well to score attacks. I don't really typically do that, but th there's just something about the gameplay. There's something about the, the structure of Streets of Rage 4 that I did something I don't typically do. I did do the score attacks. I did do quite a few of them. Yeah. And there's a plenty of incentive for doing that as well because there are a ton of unlockable yes. characters. Not only do you have the new versions of Axel and Blaze and, you know, all of the classic characters, but you can unlock their original versions. You can unlock Streets of uh, Streets of Rage 1 Axel, Streets of Rage 2 Axel, and all the abilities that they've gotten over the years. You can get, you know, you, you actually get their movesets from those individual games, rocket launchers from cars and all. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also worth noting that that initial playthrough when you're playing as Floyd, just throwing people off of the elevators is like one of, one of the funniest moments we've had in 2020. <laughs> Dude, I was in hysterics. I was just gone, 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 gone. <laughs> <laughs> just picking people up with this big cyborg Samoan dude named Floyd, just running up to people, picking them up and just chucking them across the stage and outside of windows and off elevators. <laughs> there was just something hilarious about it. I was in stitches from laughing so hard. It was so much fun. And I love going back to it. The new characters are a ton of fun. The new villains are a ton of fun. And there is a lot to really sink your teeth into 
with Streets of Rage 4. Very, very deserving of our number four spot in our Game of the Year countdown. It was definitely one of those ones where I, coming into this, I, I definitely, I really want to make sure that Streets of Rage 4 gets a spotlight because we both loved it so much. And, you know, we saw it nominated for some stuff at the Game Awards, but I was like, man, I, I really want to shine a light on this game. So if you haven't yet already, definitely, definitely check out Streets of Rage 4. Absolutely. Now, coming in at number three of our top five Nintendo releases of 2020, there's been a lot of really good games released in this year for the Nintendo Switch, but there have also been some really, really cool downloadable content expansions Mm -hmm. released in 2020. And our number three is the Pokemon Sword and Shield Expansion Pass, the Isle of Armor, and the Crown Tundra. Yeah, we reviewed both of these extensively here on the show, um, and we have loved them both. We really feel like they are a huge step towards kind of what we feel like the future of Pokemon might look like. Both excellent, excellent expansions. And uh, it's it's the kind of thing where like even still now I'm I'm I find myself turning Pokemon back on and going back into the Crown Tundra and still uncovering things and it seems like it's sort of a really big meaty addition to an already really solid game in Pokemon Sword and Shield. There's just between both of the expansions, there's just so much to do whether or not you're traversing the Isle of Armor and going on Cubfu's yes. little journey of finding himself. Whether you're trying to catch one of the hundreds of new Pokemon that they introduced in the Isle of Armor, whether or not you're just trying to run around and grab up every little shiny item on the ground that you can find, whether you're going through all the new raid battles, whether you're, you know, trying to find all those diglets, or if you're going through the Crown Tundra and going after all the legendaries or trying to finish off, uh, or trying to finish off Calyrex's quest line or trying to catch one of the amazing uh all of the amazing pokemon they reintroduced back in to the crown tundra or whether or not you're you know going after the galarian versions of the legendary birds there's between both expansions there's just so 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 much to do genuinely the, the amount of time that you could put into just the expansion pass for Pokemon Sword or Shield is about an average RPG length anyway. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. There's there's so much content. I mean, doing that in the Crown Tundra, doing that Legendary Birds kind of hunt quest was legitimately one of my favorite moments in any Nintendo game this year. I just, I, I loved it. And, you know, the Isle of Armor gave us our, our mascot. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we're, we've become very, very fond of Galarian Slowbro, uh, as anybody who follows us on social media or checks out the episode art for uh, the episodes can can attest. And that's everybody, right? <laughs> and that's everybody. That's absolutely everybody. They're, you know, obsessively collecting all the episode art, printing them on trading cards, you know. <laughs> But no, uh, you know, you say that it, you say that as a joke. That might not be a bad idea. It might not be. I might have to look into that someday. <laughs> <laughs> but I dig it. 
But I mean, we, you know, we've talked about these both at length. You can definitely go back and listen to our review discussions. We highly recommend them. It honestly feels like if you are playing Pokemon Sword and Shield without also playing these expansions, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. Yeah, between the game and the two expansions, it's easily, easily over 300 hours. I'm over 300 hours right now, and like I said, after... Uh, our review discussion on the crown tundra i'm over 300 hours and there's still a lot of stuff that i really want to do in that game so in terms of bang for your buck it's i mean there's there are few games on the nintendo switch that give you as much bang for your buck as pokemon sword and shield and you absolutely need to get the expansion pass just to echo seth's comment from a few minutes ago uh, again uh, a lot of people criticized the game for despite being on console now for still having that traditional setup and traditional map structure the crown tundra and the isle of armor really start to open this world up and playing through the expansion pass playing through the game is great playing through the expansion pass makes us really really excited for the future of the franchise because we see the half step that they took and even that half step was incredibly significant so as, as much as i love playing sword and shield i am frothing at the mouth frankly for generation nine to see what they're going to be doing with those games yeah I, I can't wait it's it's an absolute maturation of the series and i can't wait to see where it goes but as we're looking at our number two it is actually something i'm sure people have been waiting to see where this was going to fall because like everybody else, we absolutely loved Supergiant Games' masterpiece, Hades. And, of course, we covered it on the Indie Showcase this week. We've already spent a bunch of time talking about it, but it bears repeating that Hades was just one of the most special releases of this year from an independent studio, and it is one of the absolute premier Switch games you can play right now. I mean... Just like you said, there's really not much more we can say about the game that we haven't already yeah. said over the past few months and in the Indie Showcase. It's just it's just so much fun. And the game just keeps going. When you think it's going to stop, it just keeps going. When you think you've really milked everything out of a certain aspect of the game, more shows up. Uh, it's it's well performed it's well written the music is great the art direction's fantastic there's a reason it was nominated for so many awards at the game awards despite being an independent game fires on all cylinders may be a cliche but it's a very apt one when it comes to super giants magnum opus currently their magnum opus they do seem to one up themselves with every new release so uh, I mean, Lord knows what their next game is going to accomplish. So even after all of the accolades and everything that everybody has said about Hades, if you have for some reason not played this game yourself yet, do remedy that. Trust me. Yes. We're right. Everybody else is right. The game is phenomenal. But it was our runner-up. Yes, it was our runner-up. There is one more game that somehow edged out ahead and you know you could probably tell just by process of elimination what this game is uh i've talked about it a bunch especially leading up to the game awards and stuff but uh yeah there was one game that we felt like absolutely defined 
Nintendo in 2020. And not even Nintendo, basically the entire gaming landscape. Yeah, just the culture in general. This really deserves to be Game of the Year. So we are rectifying everybody else's mistake by making Animal Crossing New Horizons officially All In's Game of the Year. Yes. Vindication. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now, we talked about how all of this was based on how good the game was and how big of a release it was, but the impact of Animal Crossing New Horizons cannot be understated. This may... This this game probably is the most fortunately timed release in the history of video games. I mean, it really is. When you talk about timing and, you know, this game had poor timing when it came out or it had good timing when it came out, typically what you're talking about is competition with other games. Uh, so if a game has poor timing when it comes out, typically, you know, it's, it's going to affect sales numbers. Right. But in March of 2020 the world needed this game and it just so happened to release right as the world essentially went into lockdown when the governments of the world were telling people we're sorry but you have to stop living your lives we're sorry but you have to stay in and all of these things were taken from us and Here comes this game from Nintendo that allows you to essentially live a second life. Yep. To go off to a tropical island paradise and catch bugs or catch fish or interact with your neighbors or help set the island up for all who would visit it or attend a concert or do all of these wonderful things that a lot of us miss so dearly from our regular lives animal crossing new horizons was far and away the most important game of 2020 there's really no question in my mind that animal crossing new horizons was an absolute healing salve in 2020 it was everything that we needed as people it was an escape from the horribleness going on around us it was, you know, just the, the nature of the game alone was already sort of the the conceit of an island getaway with your friends and stuff. But it was really the communal aspect of it that really gave us some small semblance of normalcy in this absurd year. The fact that, you know, I was able to throw a birthday party for my wife in the game with our friends and have a get together for Halloween and lose myself in, in just creating and building up my Island from the ground floor. Uh, it just, there was nothing more special. There was nothing more important to not just the gaming culture, not just Nintendo, not just the switch, but to, to us as people. And we see that evidenced in things like we shared a Reddit post the other day from somebody who's disabled and got representation and felt representation in the game. Um, the inclusivity that Animal Crossing has seen, the crazy weird stories that we've been reporting on <laughs> that we've seen crop up from the game. Constantly. <laughs> there's there's just been so much. It's It really does feel like the gift that keeps on giving. And I mean, when it comes to our game of the year, 
there was no doubt in our mind that it had to be Animal Crossing New Horizons. No, in any other year, this would have been a really good game. Right. It would have been a standout release. Right. But in 2020, to use... <laughs> to use a new superhero cliche, Animal Crossing New Horizons may not have been the game we deserved, but it was absolutely 1000% the game the world needed this year. And just from the ways that people have been able to implement the game, it became more than a game. Just like you said, Seth, it became a way for people to get together. People had weddings in Animal Crossing this year people recreated game shows in animal crossing new horizons this year political parties held rallies in animal crossing new horizons this year the ways that this game has been able to affect the culture beyond just playing a video game uh it's it's going to be a part of video game history it really is when people look back on 2020, when they look back on video game history and specifically 2020, that is going to be what people remember. You know, Last of Us Part Two, great game. Ghost of, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, great game. We've been waiting on the Final Fantasy VII remake for 38,000 years at this point. But ultimately, nothing had a bigger impact this year than Nintendo's little life sim. And for that, it is undoubtedly, unequivocally, and fully deservingly All In's Game of the Year. That's right. Lock it down, set it in stone. Animal Crossing is our Game of the Year. It will be preserved in the, <laughs> in the history books. And when everybody looks back on this moment of All Ends Game of the Year, with all the importance that that implies, <laughs> Animal Crossing New Horizons took the top spot. But we do have a little bit of a special treat for you guys as we kind of round this out here. Because, you know, Game of the Year is a conversation that really is something special when you come to the end of the year in gaming culture, especially when you talk to other gamers. And it really felt like the kind of thing that we wanted to celebrate. Uh, so yeah, I'm just going to let some other folks, some friends of ours jump in and tell you their games of the year. Tim here from the Nintendo dads. Thanks Seth for inviting me to submit my game of the year request or nomination. If you will, I would like to submit to you Shinsekai into the depths apologize if I'm not saying that correctly. I'm trying my best. <laughs> it's always a word that's always giving me a hard time, but the game did not give me a hard time. It is a game I played this year and beat and loved every minute of it. No pun intended, but diving into a Metroidvania style game where you're going underwater. It's kind of like a post-apocalyptic type world and you do a lot of searching in a metroidvania type way you find certain things that help you get further or deeper into the water and and you discover new creatures now keep in mind that this is can be relaxing but also can be very stressful relaxing probably in the same way that if you dive underwater it can be in a relaxing environment but you have to also keep in mind that anything could happen and and you could die under there so 
Um, there's lots to discover in the game, and I highly, highly recommend this game to everybody, and that's why I asked for this game, Shin Sakai Into the Depths, to be on All In Podcast Game of the Year options. So thanks again, Seth and Eric. I appreciate the option again to do this, and I hope you guys have a good one. Happy Holidays from Tim and the Nintendo Dads. Later. Hello, Seth and Eric. So... I'm worried that this will sound a bit like an ad because Boss Fight Books put out Derek Yu's book about the first Spelunky, but it's also not even a contest that my game of the year for 2020 is Spelunky 2. It ramps up everything that made Spelunky great. It's so suspenseful. There's the threat of insta-kills everywhere. The procedurally generated levels are so smart. There's so many surprises and interlocking systems. There's so much attention to detail and all these little secrets that most players will never even get to. All the new items and the mounts and the levels and the music and the art. It comes together so beautifully. I've played a lot of roguelikes in between Spelunky HD and Spelunky 2, and they're almost all about like grinding it out in-game until you've unlocked enough upgrades that you can finally brute force your way to victory. And that's like a pretty pleasurable game loop, but in Spelunky 2, their stakes are so much higher because the run that matters is just the one that you're doing right now. So if you win, you feel like a champion. And if you die, which more likely you're going to die, it's probably going to be hilarious. Hey there, this is Douglas from Limited Run Games, and my favorite game of 2020 was the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Hey everyone, this is Nicholas McDonald. I'm the director at Samurai Punk. Uh, you might know us from some games we released, uh, and I've been on this podcast before actually as well. So we are best known for screen sheet, Unplugged, Feather, uh, or Rumbo First Blood. And yeah, I'm here to tell you about my game of the year. So this isn't a Switch title specifically, but uh, it did come out this year and it was just a, a really charming game. So if you didn't already know, Frog Fractions Game of the Decade Edition was released uh, featuring a DLC for the first time ever, which was Hop's iconic hat. Uh, and I'll just tell you now that that's a very, very special hat. I think it's definitely worth the asking price. That game needs to be explored and discovered on your own for you to know why it's so special. Uh, I think telling you anything about it would just ruin it. So, yeah, have fun. Good morning. This is Game Champ from the YouTube channel Game Champ 3000. My game of the year is The Last of Us Part 2 because it gave me a lot of questions and not a lot of answers, which is how I like it. Hi, this is the ASMR Nerd. And my personal game of the year for 2020 is actually a game that came out way back in 2012, Journey. Journey originally was a PlayStation exclusive, and it wasn't until 2019 that it came to PC. I finally got around to playing it in summer 2020, and I played it for the first time on a live stream with my community, and it was such a profoundly beautiful and powerful and poignant, just deeply moving experience 
uh, that I got to share with my online community that it made for a very, very special experience, something I will never forget. And that is why Journey is my personal game of the year for 2020. Hey there, All In fans, Ash Paulson here, and I am the creator and co-founder of Good Vibes Gaming, formerly one of the Game Explained crew, and my personal game of the year for 2020 is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Now, to just start off, it isn't perfect. Obviously, no game is perfect, and FF7 Remake is no exception to that. Um, there are some pacing issues for sure, some of the side quests fall flat, there are a couple of too many uh, walking simulator parts, as it were, but I think 7 Remake gets way more right than it does wrong. And for me, uh, my game of the year often comes down to what game made me feel the most uh, throughout, you know, over the course of the year, right? And for me, there is no doubt that that game for 2020 is FF7 Remake. I felt so much, so many emotional highs throughout that game, and I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, uh, but there is a particular moment toward the end of the game where uh, everything comes together in a particular scene, and the music crescendos in a certain way, and it is my number one gaming moment of the year. And uh, despite its imperfections, no game made me feel more uh, this year than FF7 Remake. And that isn't even going into the fantastic visuals, despite the texture glitch, of course, the fantastic visuals and the stupendous soundtrack. It is also my favorite soundtrack of the year. Uh, and I also love that uh, the the story, it's not a one-to-one -one remake of the original. It is both a remake and a sequel of sorts. And for those of you who finished the game, um, you know that everything's on the table. We don't really know how this version of the story is going to play out. And I find that exciting. I find that more exciting, in fact, than a one-to-one -one remake of the original because we know how the original plays out. And so this is exciting that there's genuine mystery here, even for those of us who grew up with the original FF7. And finally, the battle system. They, for me, hit a perfect balance of turn-based and real-time action, and they they nailed the battle system more than I ever could have hoped for. Uh, I wasn't really sure where they were going to go after Final Fantasy XV, and I really love where they went. So, without repeating myself too much, Final Fantasy VII Remake is my game of the year. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Sean Chiplock, professional voice actor. And if I had to pick a game of the year for 2020, I would actually have to go with Among Us. Um, I know that there's a lot of incredibly graphically intensive games that have come out. You've got Spider-Man, Miles Morales, you've got Age of Calamity. Um, but when it comes to the unexpected need for social interaction that we had this year, Among Us really hit at just the right time to get everyone together, get everyone involved, provide entertainment, betrayal, laughs, horror. I can think of so many evenings that I've spent hours upon hours just playing rounds of Among Us with friends and developed closer friendships as a result of it. So if I had to pick a game this year that definitely provided a highlight during a darker time, it'd have to be Among Us. That was awesome. Just, you know, again, we wanted to just extend a huge thank you to all of our guests. We really wanted to blow out this this end of the year episode. And, you know, what better way to invite back all of our friends from the past year to shout out their games of the year. And and again, we just want to extend a huge thank you to all of them um, for, for kind of coming back and hanging out with us ever so briefly to tell you their favorite games of the year. Yeah, we've made a ton of friends this year and very, very thankful and very grateful that they could all come back and share their own games of the year with us. You've heard all of our games of the year. You've heard all of our friends' games of the year, but what are yours? Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Please 
Check us out on Facebook at All In Podcast. We're on Twitter at All In Podcast. And one more time, please do like and subscribe to All In and Nintendo Podcast wherever and however you are listening to us. Thank you for hanging out and making us part of your weekly rotation every week. Absolutely. And guys, we just want to wish everybody celebrating a very Merry Christmas. We will be with you next week, the day after. But uh, but of course, a very warm and happy holidays. Please be safe uh, out there. Uh, please practice social distancing and, and just have a have a great holiday. Yes, I know we're going to try to enjoy it as much as we possibly can. But we'll see you right back here next week after all the eggnog has been drunk and all the presents have been <laughs> open. I have been Eric the Echidna. And I have been literally the protagonist of Bravely Default 2, Seth. And we will catch you guys next week. Again, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>